maybe it's wife, kids, family life. I mean, are you, are you satisfied, Glenn? Don't you ever feel suffocated? Like, like there's something big pressing down. Yeah, I do know that feeling. And I told Dot to lose some weight, but she don't want to listen. <laughs> no, man, I know what you mean. I mean, you got all these responsibilities now. You're married, you got a kid. I mean, looks like your whole life is set down. And where's the excitement? Yeah, Glenn, I guess that's it. Okay, that's a disease, but you got a cure. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Dr. Glenn is here to tell you that you can heal that self. What do I got to do? Well, you just got to broaden your mind a little bit. Like, say if I was to ask you, what do you think about Dot? Well, she's a fine woman you got there. Okay. Now, you might not know it to look at her, but she's a hellcat. That right. T-I-G-E-R. Well, what's that got to do with uh, Now, don't rush me. The thing about Dot is... She told me this. She thinks. She thinks you're cute. And I could say the same thing about Ed. What are you talking about, Glenn? What am I talking about? I'm talking about sex, boy. What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about Lamore. I'm talking to me and daughter swingers. As in to swing. I'm talking about wife swapping. I'm talking about what they call nowadays open marriage. I'm talking about... Keep your goddamn hands off my wife. I'm only trying to help! Keep your goddamn hands off my wife! You're crazy! I pity you! Uh, seven minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 and this, the month of December, in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 to talk. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are uh, here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is uh, Monday, the 29th of December. Uh, we've all returned from our Yuletide rejuvenation. It is 503-733-2970. We'd like to get on board today. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. you'd like to join us with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvitches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, uh, whatever it is you might have. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. To uh, email us, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Richie with a T at 970.am. And I'm assuming Ron Pivo has some sort of an email address. He's got a he's got like a whole website and everything where you go there and there's a spiffy flash animation of his face. 
Go there. It's, uh, he'll be joining us in the noon hour today. Ron Pivo, you may know him from such television stations as KGW and KPTV. And I think he's received numerous awards from the Oregon Association of Broadcasters, a group that really doesn't even seem to know we exist. So he's going to bring a touch of class to the program today. I'll be uh, coming up later on uh, around uh, noon or so. Ron Pivo will be joining us as we continue to have a series of laid-off Portland media professionals filling in for laid-off Portland media professional Tim Riley. It can be reached at uh, RileyLive.com. Uh, it is 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along the observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. And by standing by, I mean slumping in a corner of the studio here, looking less than fully awake. That's great. That's wonderful. Here's what's coming up today. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will be joining us from the Hill, uh, as well as uh, CNN Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer will be joining us from Atlanta and so forth. Uh, let's see what else is coming up today. I'm not entirely certain whether we're talking to Peter Carlin today or not, because he was he's in Hawaii. But I, I don't know whether he was in Hawaii until just this last week. He's probably there until after the first of the year. I mean, why would you come back for like three or four days or whatever, and then you're on vacation again? Well, probably not. So, Peter Carlin, like everybody we know, seems to be in Hawaii right now. Uh, so, we will not be speaking with him, most likely. We will, however, be counting down uh, today's top five. Uh, the top five songs released in 2008, in the opinion of me, Rick Emerson. That's coming up today. Top five songs released... In 2008, uh, we'll begin to wrap up our Joy of Christmas festivities. We're going to power through, I think, the remaining Joy of Christmas stories. We'll do those, as we always do, through the first of the year. So we got between now and the first of the year to get through as many Joy of Christmas stories as we possibly can. What else? Uh, we will start talking about the Glorious Bastard of the Year, who is going to be unveiled later on this week. I think on Wednesday. Wednesday the 31st? Wednesday's New Year's Eve, right? Mm-hmm. All right. She's not even really responding at this point. She's just staring blankly. He's just kind of grunting. Uh, so this Wednesday is New Year's Eve. We'll uh, talk about the glorious bastard of the year. And I got here the uh, definitive comprehensive list of what that person will be winning. Uh, plus uh, your phone calls and uh, all of that. It's 503-733-2970. We're joined today as always by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello. How are you today? Hello. All right. Glad to be back. Oh, boy, am I ever. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Sarah. <laughs> It was the Barfly Christmas party last night. I'm a little tired. All right, then. Yeah, but uh, it was fun. Got to see a bunch of people. Saw Bosek last night. Haven't seen him in a bit. Excellent. Looking uh, looking sort of menacing and Eastern European, as he always does. He always does. He looks like he always... Every time you see Dan Bosek, it looks like he ought to be wearing mucklucks and burning down a Russian village. I mean, I'm just saying that's my estimation of it. So Excellent. So a good time was had by all? Yes, yes. And uh, I went to, ended up making it to Bremerton. So, wait. So let's back up for a second, because... I don't know if, if you all are like this, but I can't, for the life of me, can't figure out what day it is, I mean, ever recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what, what, before we even went on vacation, I think it started, whatever, that Sunday, or the, I guess it was a week, and a, a week and a day ago, eight days ago, whenever it, the snow started coming down, because then every day, my whole sense of time has been thrown off ever since the snow started falling, it, because of two things. One... Every day looks exactly the same as the other. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what time you step outside. Every time, whether it's noon or whether it's midnight, because you ever notice this when it's snowy outside, it never really gets completely dark. There's always kind of this weird glow, and I guess that's because maybe the maybe the snow is reflecting the light in the from the cloud cover, which isn't which is in turn reflecting the lights of the city. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get into a city, even if it's late at night, it sometimes 
you know, the sky has that weird glow because it's reflecting all of the lights from downtown or whatever. I think the snow does that. Anyway, so every time I would step outside, it would look exactly the same. It does. I can't tell if it's like Wednesday or Sunday or Tuesday. And that's my other thing. And so Lara was pointing this out. I couldn't figure out why I was so dazed the entire time I was in Provo. I mean, apart from the fact that, hello, I'm in Provo. She was noting that it's because not work, because I'm not used to taking days off most of the time. And so actually taking several days away from here, I realized that I had no structure in place to reset my internal clock. So, I mean, it's like maybe it was Saturday, maybe it was Tuesday, maybe it was noon, maybe it was four in the morning. I just had no way to tell. So, anyway, so one day is just sort of blending into another. So, we were here. What is the last live show we did? Last uh, Monday. Richie, is it true? Was it last Monday? Sure. Have we been off the air for a week? I think so. I can't remember the last time we didn't well, do did a we show do for Tuesday? a week. I don't think so. No, we just did Monday. Jesus. Uh, things are really getting bad. We and can't even tell we we're a, here. Or this week we have kind of a partial week too, right? Um, yeah. So we'll be doing three shows this week: today, tomorrow, and uh, and Wednesday. All right. Well, in any event, so I guess we were here last Monday, and that was the day that Richie had to drive us all home, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Because Monday was the so last Monday, and I apologize that everybody else has to play mental catch up with us here. So last Monday, one week ago, which was the twenty second. That was the day that we made it in and Dave Schmidtke was here, but there was almost nobody else in the building, right? And we did this sort of roll call of other CBS employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the day that there was almost nobody else in the building. So the bus took me to First and Arthur, and then I walked like half a mile in the snow to get here. And then I guess uh, the comedian brought you in, and then uh, Richie drove us home at the end of the day. All right. Yeah. All right. So okay. So I've got it all. Now it's all straight. I've got Richie's it all. Richie's a in my fun head. snow driver. Then by fun I mean scary. Well, here's the thing about Richie. You're, I mean, you're driving what? That Subaru? Uh huh. And so that you don't have. I don't know if they give snow tires or but chains it's or anything. Drive. Yeah, it's you, but drive. you're one of those guys though that just you take all kinds of weird, crazy chances and you used to wheel around corners at like 30 and 40 <laughs> miles an hour. Fun. So anyway, well, I hope everybody has sort of uh, made it through uh, Christmas and the holidays with a minimum of anxiety and apprehension and frostbite and. You know, whatever. So, uh, anyway, it is Monday the 29th. We are here. We're live. We're going to be here today, uh, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Uh, then we will be uh, Then we'll be off for a couple of days, and then we'll be back on Monday the 5th. And I guess everything will be sort of normal going forward. It should be noted, by the way, that the upstairs is once again completely empty. Is it? So, I'm, I mean, the, uh, the GSM is here. The general sales manager is here. Uh, Troy, the IT guy, is here. And I guess there's somebody working the front desk, but not Dave Zings. I think Dave's still gone. Oh, he's so, here. really, is he yeah, here? he's up there. All right. So I'd say right now we're running at no more than about 40% occupancy uh, upstairs. So, But we are here because we are game day players. It's what we do here on the Rick Emerson the radio program. So, anyway, so when did you go to Bremerton? I ended up leaving on Christmas Eve because I couldn't, because the weather was just way too bad. So, um, yeah, I left... On Wednesday morning. And you just drove up? You don't have any snow tires or chains or anything? No, I had chains. So I had to put on chains to get from my house to I-5, and then I took off my chains. All right. And did you put them on front or back? On the front. So how yeah. long did you take it to get from here to Bremerton? Probably about four hours. Well, the comedian and I drove uh, together because he was going to Gig Harbor. Right. So uh, I dropped him off in Gig Harbor on my way to Bremerton. So that was good because he's from Michigan, and so he's used to driving in the snow and stuff. So it was, good. It was a little scary, like, through Centralia. It started, like, snowing really Seriously. hard. And Centralia is a bad place for that to happen because you realize there's something. It's like getting lost in Ellensburg. You realize if something happens to you there, your body won't be found until the spring thaw. 
I mean, really. Yeah, it was awful. I just, it was so stressful, and it like took you know four and a half hours to get home, and all I wanted to do was just get off the road. Yeah. But um, I drove back on Saturday morning, and it was it was fine by then. See, and I think all the snow was pretty much gone. See, and I didn't know. I don't know because I was in lovely Provo uh, the whole time, where you're not allowed to complain about the weather at all. I mean, because in Provo, you're not allowed to. do We had four inches of snow at Portland because they just sort of laugh at you there. So, mm. but man, I got to tell you. you, you you, like going to any of those states, any of those those states that don't matter, like Utah, you get off the plane and it's like somebody just punched you in the face. It's so cold. I mean, it is like being slapped by the winter gods as soon as you walk off, you know, yeah, onto you the tarmac or whatever. Of course you know, but of course you didn't. <laughs> I mean, but I go to Utah every year. I thought year. maybe you'd get out of it because every other flight. No, no, but you, no, but let me tell you this. So here's the thing about that. So I went to I went to Provo, uh, and not even to Provo, as I always say, but to, to like a tiny little town on the outskirts of Provo. It's like it's like a little tail of Provo. And it's not like Provo was the most happening place on earth either. Uh, but I went to Orem, Utah, which is where my wife's uh, parents and my in-laws live. And you get off the you get off the plane though, and it's just so unbelievably like butt clenchingly cold. Uh, and you just you realize you're just you're in for just four days of excruciating hell. So that was so. And, but but here's the thing. Here's how God toys with me. Here's how the Almighty decides just to screw with me a little bit. Because you know I go to Provo because look I love my wife and I'm trying to be a good husband and I don't want to be I don't want to be a jerk because she feels like she has to go that's the thing she feels the sense of family obligation see and I long ago freed myself from that I don't feel like if I don't want to spend time with somebody guess what I'm not going to be spending time with you I don't do things out of a sense of duty I don't spend time with anybody out of a sense of obligation I don't call anybody because I feel like I have to if there's something I feel that I'm supposed to do just because I'm like required to do it. I don't do it. That's one of the uh, trade-offs for getting older. You don't have to see people you don't want to see. But my wife, though, is still in that... She's still in that kind of mode like a lot of people are. She spends time with her family because she feels like she's supposed to. So I try to be supportive, and I go along, and I whatever. But I'm not happy about it. And we had, you know, on Christmas Eve, we had our obligatory fight that we have every single year. Where <laughs> And we and it, every, single, every single year, the night before we go to Provo, we have some huge fight where I'm sulking around the house, and I'm acting like a dick. And then she finally says, what's wrong with you? And I say, I don't want to go to goddamn Provo. And then she starts crying and yells at me for being a jerk. And then I apologize and say that I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just that I can't pretend to be happy about going to one of the worst places on earth. And then, you know, we make up and then it's all then it's all. That's fine. like my sister and my mom and I. We always get into one screaming fight. And that happened Christmas night this year. Good for and you. And like, oh, yeah. And every year, every year it happens. What was it about? Three crazy women. Um, oh, it was just kind of sad. Because, you know, my... Cause my I, you know, God took two of my grandparents within a week of each other a couple, yes. a couple of years ago. And then, um, so I only have one grandparent left. And then my uncle's divorcing my aunt. And so, like, my grandmother and then my aunt used to help my mom make Christmas dinner and all that stuff. And so now none of them are around anymore. So my mom's stuck doing it all by herself. And my sister and I, they didn't really... I bet that's a fact that gets brought up whenever your mom feels stressed out. Well, well you know, I don't have any help anymore. I have to do this all by myself. Well, it didn't occur to Heather and I, so we're just completely ignoring her. She's, yeah. like, you know, like, cooking everything, and we're just watching, you know, Lifetime movies and stuff. And then she got really frustrated because she was doing it all by herself, which I didn't realize that I was supposed to help her. And um, so we got into a huge fight, and then my sister's all emotional. Like, my sister and my mom are exactly the same. Yeah. Like, crying and yelling at each other, and I'm trying to be a mediator. There is always one child who is exactly like the parent. Uh, and then there's one child who isn't. And the child who is exactly like the parents, they always start slugging it out. 
I mean, every holiday season. It oh, doesn't yeah. even take booze most and it's of the great, time. I, no, completely sober. And I'm sitting there trying to get between them and be the mediator between my mother and my younger sister. That's always a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really, But then, you know, it usually only takes about like a half an hour and then everything's back to normal and then we had a fabulous night. Yeah, so Laura and I had our obligatory Christmas Eve fight about, uh, about having to go to Provo and about how I just can't pretend to be happy about it. When I get there, I will act. I tap dance, I sing, I'm funny, I'm amusing, I'm charming. I mean, as soon as I get there, I know how to turn it on. And so for four days, I will pretend to be enjoying myself. But it's like the night before, it's sort of like Ali in the uh, you know in the dressing room before going out to fight against Foreman. You're just sitting there brooding, looking deep within yourself, realizing your own personal hell has arrived. So after we have the Christmas Eve fight, we go to the airport, and this is how the Almighty decides to screw with me, though. I'm sitting there on the plane. Just hating myself, hating life, just dr- and of course it's a, and it's like a two-hour flight, uh, you know, which is like just it's like waiting two hours to be kicked in the balls by somebody, you know what I mean? It's like it's like having a long, long trip to have something bad happen to you. And as we're sitting on the runway at PDX, getting ready to go to Provo, it starts to snow, just huge buckets and buckets of snow, and I'm thinking to myself, this is it, my salvation has arrived. God has decided to, by offering to go, Jesus has seen that I'm a good person, and he will now spare me the agony of actually having to. I've proved that I'm willing to do it. Now I won't have to. And so the snow continues to fall, and then they start bringing out the de-icing truck, and the plane is like... And they're icing all the snow off the plane, and then the pilot says the words that I don't want to hear. He says, well, uh... Uh, looks like uh, we're going to get de-iced, and uh, we'll be on our way to Salt Lake City, Utah, in about 15 minutes. Uh, you folks are lucky. Looks like subsequent flights are going to be canceled for today. So you all, uh, you just made it. You're on the last flight that's going to be getting out today. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you'd arrived even 10 minutes later, you wouldn't be leaving. So everybody on this plane should count your blessings that you're getting to go to Salt Lake City because uh, all the other planes for today are uh, laid and or canceled. So we'll be under which one. You know, I'm sitting on the plane realizing if we just scheduled one flight later in the day, I wouldn't have had to go. Anyway, but I did because I'm a good person. So, all right. Um, no, you're not a good person. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> I'm a grudging person. All right. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Hello. Good. How was your uh, holiday? Uh, it's okay. I, my window, you know, that's all scratched. Oh, up. dude. So we should talk about Richie's car for a second. So on last Monday, we come and we do the show on the 22nd, and Richie drives Sarah and I back to Southeast Portland because it's, we'd both taken either a ride or the bus or something in, and, you know, that was just... It's just, it's just bad. Nobody wanted to take the bus. Nobody wanted to walk half a mile to sit on a big stink tube again. So, Richie, last Monday, drives Sarah and I back to southeast Portland. And you had referenced how you were using a license plate to scrape your windows. But I don't think we really realized. <laughs> like, we sort of knew intellectually that was true, but I don't think we really conceived of what that was doing. So, Sarah and I get into Richie's car in the parking lot last last Monday... And sure enough, every no, but you see, can't not, even basically see through the windows; they're so scratched up. And it's like not even the front. Like I thought it was just the windshield, but it was the windshield. It's the side windows. It's the quarter panel windows. It's the back window. <laughs> so every single window in Richie's car is just scratched all to crap. Just looks terrible. So you know, I mean, and there's no fixing that, by the way. There is fixing it. Really? Did you fix it? Uh, yeah, rock went through my wind, front windshield, so now I have to replace that. Really? Anyway. It's strange. <laughs> it's strange how that happens. Is so, that, so there isn't fixing. It's just the fact that your windshield's now smashed. Is that covered by your insurance? Uh, probably. Yeah, it's strange how that happens. The hardest thing. A rock went right through my windshield. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's got a crack in it. Yeah. Replace it. Uh, let's see here. So I've got uh, a couple things to do, and then we'll uh, then we'll take a break. We'll come back. Lisa Day. 
Desjardins at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we've got uh, Amanda Moyer coming up. We'll do the uh, top five. Ron Peeble is going to be here with the news. Okay, I've got to, I've got two different things. I'll let you guys choose. I can either tell you a horrifying family anecdote that will sum up Lara's parents in a nutshell, or I can tell you about the exciting purchase I made. I like the first one. Horrifying anecdote. Yes, horrifying anecdote. Richie, what do you think? Horrifying anecdote with the purchase afterwards. Well, I probably won't have time. We'll do the purchase here in a bit. So here's the horrifying family anecdote. If you would like to know, in a nutshell, Lara's family, and by the way, I should note for the record, before I take even one, one tiny step into this, Lara is, of course, in most ways, nothing like her parents. I think like a lot of us, she grew up with one kind of family, and uh, reached the age of reason and decided that uh, she was going to go a different way. So, you know, my wife is a big, my wife is a big bleeding heart and a big, you know, feminist and a woman studies major and a big granola crunching liberal and, you know, all of that. And my, my wife is very Portlandy. And occasionally she'll talk about, my wife will sort of, and I don't know if you guys do this, but my wife will sort of talk about how strange it is, you know, how lucky she sort of is that she is sort of a free-thinking person, given that she grew up with just such a bunch of hillbillies. And, you know, kind of like me. You know, my parents are the same way. I mean, I don't know where my dad... Wherever my dad is right now, my dad is probably watching uh, Hee Haw reruns on a faux wood grain TV train grunting for more fish sticks. You know what I mean? So it really is astounding that I mean... I mean, that the fact that I can even walk upright is sort of surprising. So I'm just going to tell you this one brief anecdote that will sum up Lara's family and her relationship with her parents. I want time to talk about the rest of this, except to say that board games ruin families. So on Friday, we all have dinner like a big potluck thing at her parents' house, and her aunt and uncle are there, and a cousin is there, and like a second cousin is there, and we're all playing, because Mormons love board games. Mormons love families getting together and playing something from Milton Bradley. We're playing Scattergories. Oh, yeah. Oh, Who here plays Scattergories? I love that. Game. Sarah? I just played Yahtzee yesterday. Do you know how to play Scattergories? I've never played Scattergories. All right, here's the thing. Here's all you need to know. The deal with Scattergories is this, Sarah. You will roll a die that has letters from the alphabet on it. You have in front of you a list of categories. You must, in 60 seconds, come up with a word for each category that starts with the same letter. So, in other words, if your category, like if I rolled the letter M mm -hmm. and a category was musical group, you'd have to come up with a musical group start with M. Yes. And then food, you have to come up with a food starts with M. So, okay. you, they roll a letter and then you have to come up with something that starts with that letter for each category. So, we're playing categories, we roll it, the letter that comes up is K. So we're looking at our cards, and all of us are looking at our card, and we're writing down the can like food. Okay, kale, uh, country, uh, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, the K, uh, you know, country, Colombia uh, or whatever. The category is one of the one of the things you have to do is hero. You have to come up with hero starts with a K. So my wife puts down Kennedy, and then you have to, it has to be unique. It can't be the same as anybody else. So my wife puts down Kennedy, comma Caroline. We go around the room, everybody's revealing what they've put down, you know, for the various categories. We get to my wife, and they say, okay, Laura, what did you put down for hero that starts with a K? And my wife says, uh, I put down Caroline Kennedy. To make sure it was unique, I made it Caroline, Caroline Kennedy. Her family immediately screams that that doesn't count. You can't give any points for Caroline Kennedy because who would she be a hero to unless you're some godless liberal? And there's no way that anybody could ever conceive that Caroline Kennedy is a hero. And so there's a huge kerfuffle about whether that counts as a hero or not. Finally, they agreed to give her half points for that. We get to her father. For the letter K for hero, her father puts down Ku Klux Klan. I knew it. 
triple points. I mean, who does that? And then... Was he trying to be funny? No, and Lars says, Dad, what are you, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I'm not saying for me personally as such, honey, but I mean... Wow. You know, there are certain people who would feel the clan are heroic. And it was that thing where you look at Lara and I kind of looked at each other, and we just shared that eye contact that said, like, do we even want to continue having this conversation, or should we just stare awkwardly at the ground and wait for the next round to begin? So there you go. That's, I mean, that is Lara's family, and that is Lara's relationship with her family in a nutshell. They, everybody in the family screamed about Carolyn Kennedy being a correct answer for a hero. Like, they, they couldn't, they just couldn't abide it. No one in the room had any problem with clan being an answer. Everybody just agreed that that was correct and proper. There you oh, go. Oh, boy. It was a glorious weekend in Provo. Uh, we'll take a break. Back after this, Lisa Desjardins, Amanda Moyer, Ron Peebo coming up on the noon hour and your phone call. Stay there. It's the 29th. We're live. Back after this on the Rick Emerson. <laughs> Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-297. The secret word is clan. 503-733-2970. You know, and that is, that is the, by the way, the very, I mean, I know it's an extreme example. It's the very definition of that embarrassing parent syndrome. Like when you were in, uh, like you were in high school and you'd bring some, you know, you bring like a girl home or a boy home or whatever. And it's like, there's, you know, there's your mom like putting baking grease on her face because she heard it's great for wrinkles. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hills, CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hey, how's it going? It's going splendidly. How was your, how was your, uh, well, you, I don't know if you have vacation or if you were working. How was your holiday? I did. I did. I took three days off. It was, it was actually very good. We went up to Connecticut and, um, my plan to get, uh, Jason's, uh, very, very small family, um, to sort of, like, Speak to one another is working great. And so, wait, are they? Well, hold on for a second. Is there a hum, Sarah? Can you hear some sort of an? Is there like an open channel somewhere? I can hear that no. low-level hum that's back again. Uh-oh. Oh, looking up as your God. computer. All right. Well, there's clearly something that's gone all loose inside my brain. It could be so, coming from here. I don't know. So wait. So does Jason's family? Is this? Uh, is there unpleasantness with his family or no, within no, his family? No, no, they're just. I think they just are very small. Um, it's his mother and grandmother. And his his uncle, and I think you know it's just been basically that small group for years and years, and and they just kind of you know don't really they sort of just eat together you know or they had, and and so Jason and I've kind of tried to get everybody to converse, and it's actually it's, it actually worked out great. So they're just so they're they are sort of the inverse of my family or perhaps uh, my wife's family where everyone just sits and just bumps their gums constantly about whatever seems to be on their brain whether or not anybody actually expresses interest in listening to it they are exact exa- i think they had all come to the conclusion that they weren't really all that interested in what each other had to say so they kind of had a silent pact that they you know didn't really so there was some sort of group consensus it. arrived at in right. the, in the family look none of us have anything to say and even if we did no one cares so let's all just be quiet and just mash our food silently there might have been and maybe in the end that i'll i'll maybe i'll 
you know, turn tail myself, but I think uh, we found a good happy medium. You know, if only I could get uh, certain of my in-laws to just sort of embrace that policy. <laughs> I mean, can I just, because look, I mean, I know everybody walks to their own beat and their own drummer and cut from a different cloth and whatever, but I, I just got to tell you, man, it's like, you will never, it almost is worth going to a place like Provo, Utah once a year for a few days, just because I don't care where you live. You could live, you could live inside a crack house in Flint. And it does, and you know what? You spend a few days in Provo, and it's going to be like going back to a golden palace filled with lollipop trees and you know, and and butter taffy fountains. Just it's wow. just because every third phrase out of anybody's mouth contains either liberal media or something about the you know something. I mean, let me just tell you this: this will sum up Provo in a nutshell for you. <laughs> it is in fact. Uh, I think 2008 right now, and I counted not one, not two, but three different references to, wait for it, Vince Foster coming out of my in-laws. So, really? There you go. That's, so it's always about 1995 when you go there, you know, 15 years back from whatever the current year is. So. Oh, see, ours is kind of more nice. Ours was more like, if you had all the money in the world, what would be your ultimate Christmas present? No, no, no. You know, it was more, it was more which, and everybody was nice. And my uh, mother-in-law, only one um, baby hint related gift, which was pretty amazing. Really? Do you get a lot of that? Look, now uh, this is called a Bally Fertility God, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> she cannot wait to have grandchildren. She, yeah. I mean, we had only been dating a few months, and she was already giving me kind of vaguely baby related gifts. What is a vaguely baby related gift? I demand to know. Um, children's books. That's not, okay. I don't know what your definition of vaguely is. Uh, yeah, well, because it wasn't really like, you know, for a baby. It was kind of a cute kid's book, and maybe I'd find it cute as well. Now, are these going to, so, like, are the gifts going to become more and more blatant and obvious? Is, like, is she eventually at some point just going to get you a breast pump? Well, I think... <laughs> I think, or a baby. <laughs> now, look, I found this at uh, Garfinkel's, and they were on sale. Right. Uh, now, look, it's got, now, the eyes are two different colors, but it was 10% off. Don't go by the police station. Yeah. yeah. It, right. it, she, it, this time, the one baby-related gift was actually like a, a piggy bank, except it was some sort of, um, I don't know if it was a baby booty. I can't remember what it was. It was some, it was like a, a piggy bank that said, you know, baby bank on it. That's fantastic. So, yeah, but but it, the fact that it was only one was incredible. And she even, as she handed it to me, she said, it was hard, you know, basically it was hard for me to just give you one gift like this. But I tried. I tried. Let me just, there's one, and, and everybody just kind of heard me. This is this this happens more and more frequently. I could learn to save these anecdotes for you because I will boil this down to its bare essence for everybody that, uh, that just heard this like five minutes ago. But So this uh, this will sum up not only uh, my wife's parents, my, my in-laws, but it will sum up my why my wife has this strange mix of emotions whenever she goes back home to spend time with her family because she does feel, you know, she was raised kind of religious. And even though she's not religious now, she still has some of that kind of, you know, Mormons know how to, they know how to throw down a pretty good guilt trip. They're no Catholics, but they know how to make you feel pretty guilty. But they're right. They can do it. And plus, she's an only child. So it's like, there's like with me, doesn't matter. You know, I could forget to call my mom five, six, seven, eight, nine months in a row. There's five other kids to pick up the slack. But in my wife's family, she's it. You know what I mean? If she doesn't call like once a week and if she doesn't send a card, she doesn't go to see them, uh, you know, on Christmas, there's there's really no one else to sort of fill in for her. So right. she's hey, obligated right. to go. So we are sitting around. I think it was Saturday night. And we've had like the big starch laden sort of post Christmas family family feast. Yes. And we really had to just weigh in with everything and as to not have her parents have the Christmas dinner at a place called 
Chakarama. Oh, that's crazy. And Chakarama is this huge sort of like disgusting smorgasbord place. They just seem to be everywhere in Provo. So we ended up having the dinner at home. So we have the big, you know, like everybody brings like scalloped potatoes and like some sort of bad, uh, like some sort of bad green bean casserole with potato chips on it. And so we're sitting there and we have, you know, like our, you know, the requisite amount of just grease and fat and hideousness. And then her family breaks out the board games. And you know it's going to be a long evening because they don't just bring out one. They bring out three of them. They bring out Monopoly. They bring out something called Perquacity or something, some other some other crap board game. Okay. And then on top is Scattergories, which I had never played before. But I hate to make broad sweeping generalizations here, but Mormon families love board games. Like nobody's, I mean, like ducks really? like water. Well, you have the family night. They have family home evening, which is every Monday, where you are supposed to. You're not supposed to go anywhere, and and plus, you can't go out on Sunday either, because you're you know you're not supposed to transact any business. So you basically got two days out of the week where you can't go anywhere or do anything, and you got to spend time with your with your family. So as a result, I mean, I can't. If I just if I could own stock in the Jenga company, uh, I mean, I'd be a billionaire just based on Utah. So. We're playing categories, and I don't know if you ever played categories, but the deal is you roll a die that comes up with a letter of the alphabet, and then everybody gets a card that lists categories of things, and you have to come up with a specific item in that category that starts with that letter. Right. You know, so if it's like, uh, you know, whatever. So if it's like, uh, you know, vegetables, and you roll a G, you got to come up with like green beans or something. So we all have our cards, and we roll the die, and it comes up with the letter K. And so we take our 60 seconds, and we're all writing down K, and, you know, your answer has to be unique. You know, shouldn't be what anybody else's answer would be. So my wife, trying to be unique, puts down Kennedy, comma, Caroline, because she figures somebody else might say, like, JFK or whatever. So we, we go around the room, and everybody's revealing their answers. My wife reveals that she's put down Caroline Kennedy just to the assembled catcalls of her family, all of whom insist that that's an invalid answer because there's absolutely nothing to justify putting down any Kennedy as a hero. And so this huge, oh my goodness! No, 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 no! But it gets so much better. You don't even know how much better this anecdote's going to get. So my wife was put down, Carolyn Kennedy. My wife's a big bleeding heart, but I mean, you know. But also, she was trying to be unique. Finally, the family takes a vote, and they decide to give her half a point for that, because it's only kind of plausible that a Kennedy would be a hero. Oh and how and how desperately I wish I was making this anecdote up, especially because as we get to her father. Keep in mind, this is her father, not that mine is much better. As we get to her father, he reveals that, in fact, his answer for hero and K is, in fact, the clan. No, come on. I swear to you, you don't even know how desperately I wish I was making this in up. A, in a sarcastic... Well, Sarah asked me that. Sarah asked if he was being ironic. And and so, of course, he says, well, I put down the clan. And Lara and I, I mean, the look on our faces, we must have just been... You'll forgive the phrase, white as a sheet, because... I mean, we must have just looked at Gog, because I don't even think we were able to form words. I think we kind of just went like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and he, we must have just had like WTF all over, all over us, because he looks at us, and he says, well, you know, I'm not saying for me personally, mind you, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that would find the clan heroic. Oh, my goodness. And I, you know, but this, but, but this after the entire family had shouted down my wife for putting down a Kennedy for hero, that was, but of course, clan, no one had any problem. No one, no one batted an eye at that. So. And you, you got, go. you got the full, full score. Everybody in the family was like, well done, John. That's uh, three points for you. I mean, he's factually correct that. I'm sure there are. But who says that? Multiple people, right? right I mean, right. really. So. But that's your classic. I was just joking. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah. 
So as as I said, you know, it is kind of amazing when you look at the family my wife comes from and the family I come from that either of us can walk upright and form full sentences. <laughs> it is just astounding. So that's what I mean when I say it's almost worthwhile to go to Provo once a year. You know what I mean? Family swap for the holidays one year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, I think it would be hilarious. I think you would enjoy, you know, the Sporbert, uh, Jardin clan. So and, to speak. You know, although the only problem that they have is she, his grandmother, this might be why they stopped talking, she has about 16 cuckoo clocks all set to different times that are constantly. Do you mean mentally? What? You mean mentally? No, no. No, like actual cuckoo clocks. Actual cuckoo clocks that go off. I, she's purposely set all of the times so that they're all different. And so they go off, and you can't. And it's uh, it's really jarring. Don't don't take this the wrong way. That's something a crazy person does. Yes, and that's what we tell her constantly. Okay. Like, you know, we could call any number of reality shows, and and this would be enough. Hey, uh, so I, I I know you've actually got good news here, but this just sort of does tie into a big story that we missed. You know, when we were gone. We weren't here for the big uh, the big shirtless Obama uh, ogle fest. No, how about that? So well, I mean, yeah. that is. Um, that's quite something to photograph of Barack Obama that came out. How about you know? There's a and there's a couple different versions, you know, different different vantage points, I suppose. Yes, and it's now spawned its own sort of cottage media industry. I just saw this morning on CNN. I think he must have done it yesterday. Ed Henry did a story where he went to the gym in Hawaii uh, to try and to get a trainer to to tell him what he would have to do to look like Barack Obama. I mean, you know, the best part about that photograph was how yeah. obviously it was planted by the Obama people. And you know what? I don't, you know, they claim, they claim that it was not. They, they claim that it was, and, and what they point to to prove that is they say, well, look at all those pictures of his girls. You know, absolutely the family doesn't want all these. And, and there were also the same, uh, one of the same companies that had the, prominent Obama photos, uh, the shirtless Obama photos, also posted photos of him um, sort of at his grandmother's memorial service, which was, you know, right there on the water and kind of isolated and very, very private. So the Obama camp says, no, look at all these photos out there of the memorial service and of the girls that we didn't want out there taken by these same guys. So we didn't post it, but uh, we just, don't mind it. <laughs> it's just so, it's just so much a mark of what a different kind of president he is. And yes. I will, uh, I'll tell you this, actually. I uh, My wife was online. She was sort of checking the news and just, you know, catching up on whatever was going on. And I think I've said this before, so it's not like I'm talking about anybody that's back. My wife, uh, my wife does have an affinity uh, for handsome black men. And so I, I walked into this. She's like on Drudge Report or something, and there's this photo. Sarah, have you seen the photo we're talking about? No, I haven't. You haven't seen this photograph of Barack Obama walking around without a shirt? <laughs> no. I got to tell you, it's pretty astounding. It is. Uh, he's uh, he's quite a sexy man. I, there's no getting around it. Weird, like Ursula Adams, black male version coming out of the. Totally, and he, you know, and he so he's walking on the beach with no shirt on, and he's got like. Ursula Andrews. I, I mean, he's just yeah, he's just like he's rippling with with muscles and hotness. There's just no way around it. And I walk in, and my wife is just sort of staring at this photograph of Barack Obama with no shirt. And I said, hey, honey, what are you doing? She just, without even looking away from the monitor, because I don't think she was able to tear her eyes off of it, she just said, this is the best president we've ever had. And then she just kind of went back to staring, and I went, okay, I'm going to get a Pop-Tart in the other room and feel like a sexual disappointment. You just let me know when you're ready. So, uh, you know. I cannot possibly... Um, you know, sort of, have we, I can't imagine anybody that any president that could have competed with that. I mean, maybe JFK. Well, see, she asked me, she said, is this the first time we've ever had a photo like this? And um, and I said, um, 
I said, well, you know, there, there were those home movies of the of the Kennedys playing football, right? Right. But that was about the closest we've ever like. And I think there was, I think there might have been one maybe of Kennedy sailing in a boat or something. But there simply, were, yeah. With, but he kind of generally has. I can't think of him completely shirtless. No, there was nothing where he was. No, we've we've passed like a new a new presidential threshold. So yeah, I think. Um, uh, I apologize that we're, we're yeah, sort of already uh, kind of over time here. So, okay. no are, are you on tomorrow? I am. Okay, so so tomorrow we got lots to catch up on. So, uh, all right. So until then, remember the answer if it's K is always Kennedy. It's always Kennedy or never. Yes, or never or nothing. If you can't say Kennedy, don't say anything at all. All right, thank you, Lisa. Sure. All right, there you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. I got to tell you, I'm going to milk that clan anecdote for all it's worth. I'm gonna, and it seems like it should be made up. No, and see, that's the thing. And I don't think, I think Lisa, I had to convince her that I was telling the truth. How desperately I wish that I were fabricating that as some sort of a, like a kooky radio, you know. That's pretty ridiculous. Like, I would, I would never think that anyone would say something like no, that. No, I mean, because why would you? I mean, really. Anywho, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. Correspondent Amanda Moyer. Hello, how are you today? Hi, I'm well. How was your uh, how I did indeed. How was your holiday, Amanda? It was very good. All right. So did uh, did you uh, I don't know did you receive like I don't know like a big uh, a big bounty of goods and consumer merchandise as uh, as is proper for an American? Sure, I would say so. All right. Pretty good amount of presents and things. All right. Just so you know, by the way, uh, my wife, in fact, the only thing that my wife asked for this year was a toaster oven. So after today's program, <laughs> and we didn't really get a chance to do it because she was working and I was working. We had all this, uh, like, this like winter weather made it difficult to get around and so forth. So after today's program, because I am the most exciting husband ever, I'm going to be going and buying my wife a toaster oven. So there you go. Don't you wish you were married to me? Uh, I don't even know where to where to begin because we've got such a backlog here. But so, what is the latest with our with our friend, the gift who keeps giving, Rod Blagojevich? It does. It just keeps getting more and more. Well, right now, what's happening is uh, Blagojevich's attorney, Ed Jensen, is presenting his defense to the committee, and basically, he's saying that the impeachment committee committee isn't fair to Bogoyevich, and he's saying that that, in part, is because he wanted to subpoena four witnesses, including two of Barack Obama's aides, and the panel ruled that that they weren't going to do that. They said they were worried it would uh, impede the investigation. And so I have now completely lost track of my sort of Rod Bogoyevich home game uh, picture pages type scorecard about who met with who and who didn't. So I think there was some people saying that there, you know, there's no response from the from the Obama administration, uh, you know, or the transition team anyway, about who had met with who, when, and who sat down and who talked to. But but then it came out that that Barack Obama himself had already sat down with uh, is it uh, Patrick Fitzgerald? That's right. Patrick Fitzgerald had interviewed. Uh, President-elect Obama, and also Valerie Jarrett, one of his advisors, uh, prior to the report coming out. But uh, Obama has not publicly commented on that internal report. And, of course, uh, last week that internal report stated that uh, the Obama administration, the incoming administration, did nothing wrong, none of the aides, Obama. But then there's critics who say, well, of course they're going to say that they did nothing wrong because it was an internal report. It was their own report of their own actions. So here's a dumb question. Do you suppose the average American even really cares about or is following this scandal, except to notice that the guy really has strange-looking hair? I mean, is it having is there any sort of 
traction or, or impact from this story really in any practical sense? Well, the hair is definitely a selling point for this story. But, uh, no, I, I do think that people care about it. Uh, maybe not the day-to-day stuff, but a lot of it's inside baseball when it comes to the Illinois politics and what's going on. But every time there's a major development, such as the, uh, the subpoenaing the various witnesses, uh, when that request was denied, I think that was a big issue. And also, something else that's happening today, too, is the um, – the audio tapes. The committee was waiting to hear if the U.S. Attorney's Office would grant access to those tapes, and they are going to do that. Uh, the committee asked Jensen today if he um, didn't want them to be heard. And Jensen said as long as they were obtained legally, then there's no reason why we can't all hear what's on the tapes. Hey, here's a dumb question. When you say audio tapes, are these actual real audio tapes, or is this sort of some sort of digital recording? Well, it's I believe it's the it's, it's probably digital recording. It's the federal wiretaps that right. so, were on the phone from him. So I always I always kind of wonder about that technology and how fast the government sort of uh, you know advances and how fast the government you know how fast government technology um, evolves to sort of keep up with you know with whatever's sort of going on out there because I just. In my head, I so desperately want there to be like another thing where it's like when Nixon was sitting next to those um, those those uh, edited transcripts of the tapes. I so desperately want there to be a press conference where some guy, where the man uh, is up there with a huge pile of actual like small reel-to-reel cassette recordings. It just makes for such a better visual than you know the government holding up like a thumb drive or something. It just doesn't have the same aesthetic punch to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does, but it's not going to be like that, I'm sure. But uh, I expect that they will be very clear, and you'll be able to hear exactly what was said on them. Excellent. All right, Amanda Moyer, as always, a pleasure. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. That's Amanda Moyer, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. Well, hold on. I can check a few things off here. Plan anecdote. There you go. Use that one more than once. Get a couple checks. I'm a, no, see, here's the, and the thing is, I'm not gonna not only uh, not only am I gonna bring it out here repeatedly uh, as the next year goes on. Every time, uh, you know, my wife makes me go to Provo, or I have to, there's some sort of, a, or we have any sort of getting any sort of a snit uh, about her family and me spending time with them. That clan anecdote's gonna be brought out of my mental closet. And it's gonna be buffed up and polished and put on display. Let's see, Obama shirtless pick. Did you see it? No, well, I, I looked up Obama shirtless, and I found some pictures of him shirtless. It's just, uh, I think it's him, and he's wearing, like, like long blue sort of uh, uh, trunks or something. If that, you know, and he's, like, he's walking on the beach, because they're in Hawaii right now, uh, as is everybody, apparently. And so um, it, it really is quite, uh, it's quite something. Is this it? No, 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 that's not it. Well, that's that's clearly from the same... That's clearly from the same set of photos. Oh, that one's not nearly as flattering. That one actually looks like he's got a little bit of a gut. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He doesn't look very hot in that. See, so I see that. But see, that's more evidence that that one they published is a little bit of a setup, uh, because there was a whole lot of a whole lot of discussion about how could somebody get close enough to photograph the president like this. And then I think they eventually revealed that, that it was one? like the Obama. No, well, see, but that one's better that's though. That's better. See, you can see what I'm. Yeah, he's a good, oh, my, no. he's my, a good looking man. Well, especially in terms of presidents, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the bar is set so much lower if you're some uh, elected official because they're all just spongy and covered in gray. All right. Well, we should take a break here. Uh, we come back. Uh, Ron Pivo, late of KGW and KPTV, will be joining us here as a series of laid-off Portland media professionals fill in for the laid-off Tim Riley. Uh, still to come today, Rick Emerson's Joy of Christmas, and we'll count down uh, my top five songs released in 2008. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere.
Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. By the way, speaking of things in which I want to own stock, I put Plaid Pantry up on that list uh, because I made a little note to myself, and I guess it was Tuesday. Last Tuesday, we were already off, so I didn't really have time to talk about it. Um, but that that Monday, th- th- just nobody could move. I mean, we sort of made it into work because it's what we do. But there was nobody else going anywhere. But at one point, I guess it must have been maybe Monday night, Tuesday. Maybe it was really late. It was like midnight or 1 a.m. But it's one of those things where you're stuck in the house. There's nothing to eat. And, I mean, there's good, I mean, there, I mean, there are foods to eat, but there's really nothing bad, which is what you want. I mean, mm. there's just nothing, there's, you know, there's just nothing unhealthy. And it's always when you really can't get out of the house or when it's inconvenient to do so that you start thinking to yourself, I really need a bag of pecan sandies from Keebler. Let's see. Maybe I have some in the basement. I don't know how I found those. Let's see. Do I have any food hidden somewhere? No, I think I've consumed all of my secret food. Oh, yeah, you have secret hiding spaces. I do, because yeah. I have a, an unhealthy uh, relationship with food, Sarah. And you think, maybe I could make some cookies. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. There's a plant pantry down the street. You can't go down the street. There's three feet of snow. Yeah, but that's where the pecan sandies are. Okay. What's pecan sandy? A pecan sandy, Sarah, is a shortbread cookie with pecans in it made by Keebler. Oh, by the way, it didn't help that I was watching the Food Network, and the Food Network... Oh, you can't sit at home and watch the Food Network. <laughs> Especially when I can't leave the house. Just and it's Christmas time. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting there looking at the tree, and we don't really have any Christmas food because the, again, the weather kind of screwed everything up this year. Laura was working. You know, she was at work for like three and a half days or whatever. So I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, all right, well, look, um, look, you could say that it's exercise. You're walking to the plant pantry. Yeah, but that's only a block away. Yeah, but it's through the snow. And you're sort of bargaining with yourself. About whether walking through the snow is like jogging in the sand. See, that's what I'm saying, and that's how I that's how I finally made the bargain within my own soul that it was worth it to walk to the plaid pantry. The closest place to me is uh, Papa Murphy's, yeah. so that's why I kept walking to there. I'm like, that's but I'm what I'm talking about. Pizza. So that's my thing. And so, did you ever watch this? Did you ever watch the Food Network? No. Oh, dude, it's the best. They have this show called Heavyweights, and Heavyweights is a fantastic. It's a program made for people like me because it's the intersection of junk food and pop culture. What Heavyweights does is they will take. Two companies in different parts of the country that sell the same product, and they will talk about how they have, you know, they'll take basically junk food rivals, and they'll trace their rivalry throughout the years. So, for example, they've done, um, they've done uh, uh, Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, and they've done Coke versus Pepsi, and they've done Pizza Hut versus Domino's. And this one was all about, it was all about uh, Nabisco versus Keebler. And so we were talking about, like, the big Hydrox Oreo Wars, which are apparently over because I guess they quit making Hydrox cookies in 2005, which is strange. It means I have to update all my cultural references. I can't even really use that one anymore. Anyway, so they're talking about Keebler cookies and how the creation of the Keebler elves as a marketing device, that was totally the thing that made the difference for the Keebler company. As soon as they created the elves, like sales, because there's nothing Americans love more than like a weird cartoon mascot, especially some fictitious creature. So as soon as they came up with the Keebler elves, that's when the sales really started to turn around for Keebler. And so they're talking about, well, this coincided with the introduction of a brand new cookie, the Keebler Pecan Sandy. And then they just show, like, the big, like, food porn close-up of a big bag of Pecan Sandies being, like, poured out and then a big glass of milk. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, I really need some of those. So I find So I get bundled up, and I walk to Plaid Pantry. And we'll, we'll get to the news here in just a second. But I, Seriously. So, but I just have to say this, because I know it's a, here's the thing. I know, this is why I know this story is relatable. Because this is maybe one in the morning, uh, Monday night, Sunday morning, or Monday night, Tuesday morning, rather. We just landlocked 
immobile ice, snow, and it was the worst of all the days that week. It was the absolute worst moment. So I'm trudging to plaid panther to... <laughs> All right, some pecan sandies just down the street. <laughs> Walking, and as I draw closer to the plaid pantry, two things. One, it was the only thing open. So everywhere you look, I mean, it's like pitch black, and everybody's gone home, and the stores are closed, but the plaid pantry is there just gleaming, just glowing, like some sort of, like some sort of a food oasis. And as I get closer to the plaid pantry, I realize that I'm like one of about 70 people walking to the plaid pantry. I mean, really, like ants going after a leftover piece of, uh, you know, pizza at a picnic. There are just people streaming to the plaid pantry from all over southeast Portland because I realized it's the only thing open. Mm -hmm. It's the only store open at 1 in the morning in southeast Portland when there's three feet of snow out. It was some sort of like, it was like I was on some kind of junk food hajj. You know what I mean? It was like I was on my. It was like I was on a. I was on a pilgrimage to, but to, to, like to, to like a like a Mecca Keebler. So, if I could buy stock in Plaid Pantry, though, I would because clearly it is not just comfort food. That is in fact a comfort store. It's my only observation. Oh, the Plaid Pantry is very amazing. And I got this. I can tell that tone of voice, by the way. That's, it is, but I'm just saying the story went on for like six minutes longer than it needed to. I appreciate the Plaid Pantry as much as you do, but come on, man. That's an observation that was meant to be the bookend uh, to the conversation. All right. Uh, we will begin the news hour momentarily here. And uh, by momentarily, I mean now. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we've been having a series of laid-off Portland media professionals fill in for laid-off Portland media professional Tim Riley. You may know him uh, from his time as a sportscaster at KGW from 1998 to 2007. He's worked as a sportscaster in Eugene, Medford, and Roseburg. Started his career in Roseburg at uh, the CBS affiliate in 1990 and hails from the City of Angels, Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Pivo. Hello, sir. Hello. It is a pleasure to be here with you guys. Right, you know, how are you? Yeah, you know, I, we've never met, Rick, and uh, let me be honest, I, you're not what I thought you would look like at all. And I don't know if people have said that before who have never met you, but, uh, you know, you always have like a different image of what people are going to look like. I demand now yeah, that you reveal uh, with absolute honesty what you expected me to look like. I'll be honest with you. Don't lie. Brendan Fraser from Airheads. Remember that movie? He did. He used to look like that about six I'd years ago. I'd much rather look like. Bre well, I mean, I'd rather look like Brendan Fraser than me, like sort of in general. <laughs> but from Airheads, really? Well, the longer hair is what I mean. And maybe it was because I, I had seen a picture of you, and you did have long hair. So when I saw you, and I'm like, oh, the voice, and that's you. And All right. I just thought enough. it would be someone. All right. Uh, you know what? I will take Brendan Fraser in Airheads over Steve Buscemi in Airheads, and in fact over Adam Sandler in Airheads. Yeah. Oh, there you yeah. go. And by the way, points for referencing that movie. <laughs> Airheads is one of those films that is fundamentally awful, but I've probably seen it 300 times. Well, there's a lot of movies like that yeah. that are bad, but you just when it's on, you have to just you have to watch it. Please not name two other bad films you compulsively watch. Uh, it's uh, it's the one with the what's that uh, actress with three uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Mm -hmm. uh, Can hardly wait. There you go. I'll watch that That's one. That's a good movie, though. Yeah, I'll watch that one for no other reason than, you know, you get a little weepy there at the end when he finally finds her. Uh, and uh, off the top of my head, I mean, I'll watch Spinal Tap just because I love it. That's what I'm talking well, that's about. That's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great one, but not that's not a bad movie. I can't think of another bad movie. Airheads is awful, though. I remember seeing Airheads when it came out. Have you ever seen Airheads? Yes. Uh, it's, I, I mean, like it's movie. just, it's yeah, there's nothing good about it, but it's just compulsively watchable. It's sort of the twilight of the uh, of the of the movie comedy world. 
So, all right. Well, in any event. So, uh, <laughs> shall we begin the news? Okay, let's start the news. Right. We already had the theme music, Yeah, right? we did the theme, and then I interrupted with more of my natterings. And then Did I... you talk more about cookies? Why don't you shut up? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, was a long, that was a long one for <laughs> Keebler Cookies. That's like a Guinness one. Look, I don't know how they do it in the fancy TV world where you got to be on time <laughs> with things, where you got to have a point, and you got to be concise. Here we play by our own rules, Ron Pivo. I am the law. But your image is, is 100% on, because down my street, it was kind of like Night of the Living Dead. They were, the, the only thing you can do is walk to Fred Meyer and totally. Starbucks. Totally. And after 11 days, it got... You know, you, you did the same thing over and over again, and so people are kind of commiserating at the park. Well, how's it going? Have you been able to get right. out? And, no, I've gone to Starbucks. Well, have you done anything else? Right, right. Because everyone has been doing the same thing. And i got to tell you, first of all, the Night of the Living Dead uh, analogy is, is dead on, and I would actually say Dawn of the Dead for me because, because... I went to that plaid pantry because I needed, you know, the aforementioned uh, pecan sandies, which were everything I was hoping for, by the way. They were fantastic. I actually bought three packages, and I ate them all in a single sitting. So, uh, so you know, suck on that. Um, but uh, I went back to the plaid pantry the next day because, again, there's nothing open. And, I mean, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, there's a Safeway near me, but I think even they had actually closed early. So I go back to the plaid pantry, and it really was like, it was like this miniaturized George Romero Dawn of the Dead film. Because we're not at a shopping mall, we're at a plaid pantry, but I swear to you, there must have been, I mean, you know you call it plaid pantry, and it, it's always busy, there's always people there, but it's never crowded. There must have been 20 people in the plaid pantry, which is a lot for a store like that, all of us doing the same thing. Walking through the store in some sort of an extended, elongated figure eight. <laughs> like a conga line. Exactly. Looking for some mysterious, wonderful food item that we've missed on the previous <laughs> 50 trips through that store. Because, look, let's be honest. Friends, I mean, here's one of life's, uh, here's one of life's real truths. There's a limited number of, of consumables at the plaid pantry. You know what I mean? Eventually, you're there, and you're just eating hands full of, like, candy necklaces. <laughs> but, I mean, there's just nothing there. But all of us are wandering around, and then you would see this image that was at the same time so pathetic but so beautifully American, where you'd see, like, a grown man, often several grown men, clearly there from some house of dudes, and they would have, like, three frozen pizzas and some dibs ice cream and then, like, a 40-ounce of, of some sort of beverage, you know, some sort of adult uh, beverage, and then, like, a pack of cigarettes, and then and then something random, you know, like a People magazine, and just sort of sadly shuffling up to the counter, like, bleh, dumping it all on the counter at once, clearly not planning to leave the house again for quite some time or preparing for the worst. Well, you just didn't know when you were going to get back out, because we went to Fred Meyer, and uh, that was kind of uh, apocalyptic, because totally. there was really nothing on the store shelves, because the trucks couldn't get in to deliver the, the goods, and so we decided to stock up. Well, the only problem with stocking up was that I had to carry all the stuff back home, <laughs> so I felt like I was in a third world country. I had bags and bags, and it was seriously, it was about a mile each way. You felt like a yak. Oh, uh, going yeah. up the side of the Himalayas. Stuff on my head. I had stuff on my arms. Yeah. It... Final observation. Then we'll actually do some news. I swear to God. The, it, it... Walking around in the plaid pantry with my wife, actually, I think the third time I went, uh, my wife went with me. And we were sort of like wanting like a like a pizza or something, but clearly nobody's delivering. And, you know, and, and, uh, and we were not near like Sarah. We were not near a sort of pizza place. Um, and so we just were like, well, let's go to the plaid pantry. They have pizza there, kind of. So we go to the plaid pantry, and I go right for those, like, Tatoni's pizzas, because I'm a hick. And here's the thing. We went there, and they were – you could see the sort of – it was an interesting dynamic, actually. This is sort of an interesting window into human behavior. Going to the frozen food section of the plaid pantry on, I think it was Tuesday, when everything was still locked in from the ice, 
you could sort of see what went and in what order. Because all the like top shelf pizzas, you know, the frozen pizzas that are four ninety nine, they went right away. They were all gone. And then you would see like the Tatoni's pizzas, which are like a buck ninety nine, all the pepperoni gone, all of the uh, the sort of combo gone. And then, like, three of the hamburger varieties still Ew. there. So that's what I'm seeing. We had the same thing. We're like, okay, well, clearly, this is like, well, this is sort of a miniaturized focus group where you can see what people, this is like consumer preference in action. You can see what people want. And clearly, the last thing, literally, the last choice was the hamburger pizza from Tatoni's. And by the way, we bought all the remaining. There were like four left. I bought them all. And they were gone within about 12 hours. So. And I'm unashamed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here with the news. Start the news. Ron Pivo. A nurse has been rescued after 10 days in a car boot. A nurse found in the boot of her car suffering from hypothermia and dehydration could have been there up to 10 days, British police say. Magdalene McCola was wearing night clothes and had been tied up so she could not escape. She was discovered in her vehicle in the town of Aldry, east of Glasgow, on Friday. This is the boot is like a trunk, right? Yes. All right. So she was tied up in the... She spent how long in there? Ten days in the boots. Yeah, see, that's... Uh, that's How a... would you survive ten days? See I, see, I wonder about that, too, because can't you only live, like, seven days without water or something? Apparently, she had a uh, food supply in the boots. Oh, I see. So they... Really? Are you making that up? No, I read the first Did... two paragraphs, and I tossed it away. <laughs> You're going to... Oh, you know what? You're going to fit in perfectly, Ron Pivo. <laughs> Because I would often ask him to sort of clarify something. Go, I don't know. I That's shredded right. that already. Yeah, he would <laughs> crumble it up and then expose of it with extreme pressure. I must have missed that line. Well, all right. Well, there you go. So um, I was too busy. Uh, you hooked me up at Richie's uh, computer there, and I was yeah. uh, IMing all his friends. He all left right. his MySpace up. While you're there, you please tell me you did. <laughs> be sure to send a lot of awkward invitations uh, through Facebook to people who are sort of childhood friends of Sarah's who've never met you. <laughs> That's always a lot That's of fun. That's always fun. All right. You're trying to prove to you know people from childhood that you've done something with your life, and then your creepy <laughs> call screener starts befriending them. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so my wife, I told you my wife had signed up for a, a Facebook account. And she, she is. Has one? Yeah, but here's the interesting thing about that. I'm gonna see she'll be my friend. The the interesting thing is, do you remember how? Well, I know you were on MySpace before everybody else, but as we as a country sort of got into MySpace about a year and a half, two years ago, that's when it kind of really started for everybody. And you kind of went through that first three months of MySpace usage where it was sort of like an addiction, where you would wake up at 2 a.m. to get a glass of water or use the bathroom or something like. Well, I should just log on for a second to see if I have new friend requests. I mean, just you just feel like this compulsion to constantly be checking it and updating it. And it's interesting to see that she is now going through what we all went through about two years ago. Because I, like five different times I caught her logging on uh, in Utah. Like, what are you doing? Uh, nothing, just playing some solitaire. Checking my Facebook account. And just constantly updating her status. Which, by the way, the last time uh, she updated her Facebook status, I do believe it was uh, Lara is... Planning to go see Philo Farnsworth's grave in Provo, which we did, and it was fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, oh, with the news. It is nice. Let me add on uh, something about Facebook. It is nice to find out what your old friends are up to, married, children, this and that. But but what people are doing now is they're telling you what they're doing every five minutes of their life. Totally. You know, uh, uh, Joe is going to go take a nap. Uh, I'm going to go make some pizza and this and that. If I haven't spoken to you for 25 or 30 years, I don't really care that you're going to go cut the grass. And I think that's where Facebook is. Uh, it's kind of what jumped the shark, I think, as they say, right? Well, and there's that, but, and there's the logical extension of that now is that Twitter, Twitter thing. thing. It's weird. I can't talk about myself in the third person like that. 
um, you, you know, what, like when people update what they're doing. Like feels Sarah, she can't refer excited to herself. To go see a, sh- a show tonight or something. I just you I should totally, but you should do that. You should be like Sarah Dillon refuses to talk about herself in the third person. That should be your status. No, but then that seems like it's making fun of all my friends who do do that. But that's exactly it's, what you're it's doing. The passive aggressiveness of Facebook though is awesome. My friend just broke up with her girlfriend, and she's just like. I'm not gonna say her name, but she's like is hating life right now and keeps updating like every five minutes. I'm like Jesus. And, God. The, and of course, the implication: ask me why. Yeah. Yeah. Is you know, it's like when they say uh, mood, and the mood is like you know, per- or per- perplexed. <laughs> And clearly, like, rather than just picking up the phone to call you to tell you whatever their stupid problems are, they keep changing their mood or their status, hoping that everybody will go, you know, I can't live another moment until I find out what's up with your retarded love life. Please, uh, please bore me with every excruciating detail of your meaningless relationships that I couldn't possibly care less about. And it looks so desperate when they're updating it, like, every five minutes. Yes, it does, Sarah. Yeah, different. Like, she's like... So someone says, hating life right now, not ready for life, it's feeling numb. I'm like, oh, God, can yeah. be more of a drama queen? Seriously. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with the news, Ron Pivo. A fight over TV remote leads to Minneapolis stabbing. Love may be her middle name, but police say Brittany Love Venton had no love in her heart when she stabbed an ex-boyfriend in an argument over who controlled a TV remote. Venton, 19, of St. Paul, made her initial appearance before a judge Tuesday after Hennigan County authorities charged her with second-degree assault in connection with the December 12th attack. She was being held on $50,000 bail. It should be noted, by the way, that she did, in fact, demonstrate who was in charge of the remote. I mean, the question was answered. Well, there is a quote here. One person wanted to see one thing, one person wanted to see the other, so she stabbed him in the stomach. Wow. So, okay. I mean... If they could afford another TV, I think that problem would have been solved. Don't I you think, think really, I mean, really, with the bail money alone, it seems like you could get maybe a, like a like a dual tuner TiVo of How about some kind. A PIP? Yes. Is that possible in that case? That's. I mean, well, and this is, reminds me of that. There's a story this weekend. Not okay. This is not the guy who shot. This is not the guy who shot the the dude in the theater who wouldn't quit talking. And it wasn't the Santa shooter. Uh, in California, that's another story that we missed. It was, Jesus, what was it this weekend? It, but it was some story a, a lot like this, and it, it really honestly was. It was like a what kind of beer are we going to buy story. And then it ends like with another dude like stabbing somebody in the lungs, you know? So I, stories like that where it is just the most minuscule of triggers to some disproportionate act of violence are fascinating to me. So The human race never fa- uh, fails to, uh, to entertain me, Ron. Okay. Uh, we've got Jackson Watch. <gasps> Do we? Ladies and gentlemen, here is your Jackson Watch for Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, with your Jackson Watch. Oh, and Richie, I'm sorry, I completely didn't notice there were calls. Will you let folks know? I'll talk to them here in a few. Uh, with your Jackson Watch, it's Ron Pivo. Michael Jackson said to need lung transplant. Michael Jackson, the self-proclaimed king of pop, needs a lung transplant because he's suffering from a rare respiratory condition, according to the author of a new Jackson biography. Author Ian Halperin told In Touch magazine and Britain's Sunday Express newspaper that the reclusive performer may even be fighting for his life. Alpern said, Jackson, I've been diagnosed with alpha-1 and uh, something, and occasionally a fatal genetic, uh, genetic condition. Uh, I heard that he refuted this, that he, uh, Michael Jackson himself, he goes, that's not true. I don't need a lung transplant. Really? Where did you hear that? I'm, I don't know. I'll because I don't think, I'm not, here's the thing about Michael Jackson is, Michael Jackson has now become, he's become that kind of, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the sort of analogy I'm looking for? He's become sort of like, 
like one of those uh, computer, like an app, like an icon on your desktop or something, like a computer icon, um, where you don't really know what it is, and so you have to hover the mouse over it, and then the window appears, and it says, "This is PowerPoint," and you go, "Oh, I never used that. That's why." And then you kind of, and then, but as soon as you take the icon, uh, the, the pointer off, just the sort of description disappears. Michael Jackson has become one of those guys where if he's not actively in the news doing something absurd, I completely forget he even exists. He uh, apparently can barely speak, and the vision in his left eye, 95% gone. That's uh, according to Halpern once again. Uh, when did From it all... a lung disease? Yeah. When, I, I don't know when it all started going wrong for him. Was there a point where he just completely turned into a... Uh, like the definitive moment when Michael Jackson went off the rails? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's crazy or it's health Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I understood his... his, his... What do you mean you don't know if it's crazy? What well, kind of newsman are you? The skin, pig, the, the pigmentation of his skin. He talked, right. he had a disease about that. But now, I, I never heard about the lungs, and basically he's just a, a walking shell now. I mean, he's just a big pile of bones and plastic, I think, at this point. <laughs> I mean, I... He it, is probably computer-generated at this point. I mean, the way, really, I... I I think uh, I mean, he does. He looks like Skeletor, and of course, there's that. Here's a, something. We went, and I think we're less at this point now, but maybe just because we don't care. We, we went through this phase where Michael Jackson could give us any ridiculous answer for anything, and we would just sort of unthinkingly believe it. Like I remember, do you remember this? And I, he probably still does, but I don't know. Remember that business when he was like walking out of his his nose was all duct taped, and somebody said, "Hey, Michael Jackson, um, what's with all the?" Uh, What's with all the adhesive tape around the base of your nose? And he said, um, it's to prevent sunburns. And we all went, okay, that makes absolute sense. Consider the question asked and answered. And like nobody said, wait a minute, that doesn't really, is it to keep your nose from falling off, Michael? And no, we never really asked any, it was like he had the weird Jedi mind thing going on uh, with us for a while. So... Yeah. I'm wondering, after all these years, if people really care about Michael Jackson anymore. If if there were no more Michael Jackson stories, would people be outraged no. and be saying, where, where are the Michael Jackson updates and why aren't you bringing them? To no, me? no. In fact, I think that Michael Jackson is like Anna Nicole Smith and O.J. Simpson in this way, that we binged on them for a period of time and then got full and realized, and really, no matter what they do now, we can only bring ourselves to you know to think about it. It's like when your gas tank is full. And all you can really do is to top it off now and again. You pull in and the guy goes, ah, it'll be 98 cents. You go, all right, there you go, 98 cents, sir, thank you. All you can do is top it off. But then once they die, uh, you know, then we'll do, then we'll, we'll binge one final time and then file them away. Like with Anna Nicole Smith. You know, Anna Nicole Smith is a really big deal in like, um, people don't really remember this, but in like, like 94, uh, 93, 94. Uh, Sarah probably doesn't even remember when Anna Nicole Smith I was. I remember guest Jean stuff. See, so you do kind of remember. Yeah. Uh, well, you're, yeah, you're a girl, and she was a model. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I mean, you remember that though, Ron? When she was, when she first came out, and before we all knew who, just how blindingly stupid and trashy she was, she was. I mean, she was the biggest thing on earth. I mean, she was really a, a hugely famous model, and an it girl, and then kind of vanished, and then when she died. You know, and she would pop up into the news occasionally, like she'd drunkenly slur something at the Grammys or whatever, and we would kind of care for a few minutes and she'd go away again. And then when she died, I mean, maybe it was just us, but I mean, we talked about her for like a week and a half, two weeks solid. I mean, down to, I think Every at one point, day. I were we at, at one point, in fact, reading her autopsy report, like word for word on the air, where they noted that her anus was unremarkable, which I guess is all you can really hope for when you die, you know? I thought it was her breasts. It was her anus? No, her breasts were very remarkable. 
No, no, no. It was that her anus. This is medical information, but this is a news story that I am quoting from. This was actual news uh, here on KCMD Portland. I mean, that's really what you can hope for when you die. A well-attended wake and an unremarkable anus. And I think if you accomplish those things, you have uh, you have lived well. Well, p- part of her remarkable story was that she married the uh, the billionaire. Totally. Uh, Howard Marshall. Yes. Uh, I think that was his name. And, and, and people were saying, well, no, she loves him. She, you've got to be kidding me. She's 27 years old. She's a Playboy model, and she, she marries a guy in, in a wheelchair who's worth, you know, $4 billion. I mean, you've got, you know, people, please. And the, the best part of it is whenever you would see photographs of that guy, because they would sort of say, well, uh, J. Howard Marshall or... I guess Thurg- Thurgood Marshall was the Supreme Court Justice. Right. Uh, J. Howard Marshall, I think, was his name. And people would say, well, that J. Howard Marshall, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's 94 and he, uh, you know, he has uh, dementia. You know, he's not really able. He doesn't even know what he's doing. You would see photographs of that guy. That guy knew exactly what he was doing. That guy had a grin on his face uh, like nobody's business. I mean, he, uh, that guy had absolute awareness of what he was, what he was doing, and who he was married to. And you, you know, for his money, not for his money, didn't care. That guy didn't care at all. Do you remember this, Rick? Like my body. <laughs> oh, shudder. So with the thing with Michael Jackson is, yeah. just like with OJ, we did one final, like, big, you know, kind of thing of news when he got convicted. And someday when he snuffs it, you know, we'll talk about him. But we've kind of moved on from caring. And that's how I think it is with Michael Jackson, too. Because these stories come out, and, you know, and it's, it, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but it really is, it's amazing to think of how you could not escape him at a certain point. I mean, with, you know, with, like, the Thriller album and whatever. And also to hold up, like, a side-by-side of Thriller Michael and, like, Now Michael. And it's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, just disconcerting is not the word. I, well, I mean, he, at, at times he was fascinating. I, I remember he was on the, uh, was it the American Music Awards or the Grammy Awards? And, and that was, that was amazing. Was that when he moonwalked for the first time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that stuff was really, really amazing. I mean, you can't, you know, back then his talent was just remarkable. And, but it's gotten to the point where he is just, it's, he's a joke. It's a joke. And people want to hear what's the next joke? What's coming from Michael? Is his nose going to fall off? Is he going to have a sex change? What's gonna, So it's, it's, you know, and, and he had, like, that interview a few years ago with that uh, the British journalist. Right, yeah. right. And, and that Why was, can't you share your bed with somebody? So, I mean, <laughs> at, at that point, he had be, he became a joke. And, and now, you know, it's just like with Britney Spears and all these people. I, I think these people who, who write these articles think the, the public is really fascinated. But, you know, if someone didn't mention the word Michael Jackson for six months to me, I wouldn't miss it I, at all. No, I'm with you. I don't think I'd notice. Although I do think at some point... I would like it if Michael Jackson just called a press conference or got on television and then just and then literally just kind of pulled off his nose in front of everybody and sort of cackled and ran away. I mean, I think that'd be you know sort of a boogity boogity and then just sort of ran into the night. Uh, is that we should close that out? There's your Jackson watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Let's uh, do one more here, and then we'll uh, we'll take a break. Here's uh, Ron Peeble with the news. By the way, I did go to elementary school with Janet Jackson. Did you really? Yes, You're I making did. that up. No, I'm not. I was she older, younger? Where Same did age. you go to school? Same, Same age. age? Yeah. yeah, elementary school down in uh, Encino, California. Oh, I guess she must have been out of Indiana by that point. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, so. long gone. No, her whole family, they grew up. You know, in the same city. Uh, you know, the same. You went to school with Janet Jackson. Yeah. yeah. So were you friends with her? Uh, not really. No, because she was doing good times then. I was just going to say, what uh, age would she have been? Yeah. So we're the same age. She was in my grade. We weren't in the same class, but there was only like three sixth grade classes, and she was, you know, doing good times. She was Penny. So she would have been like ten or eleven. Uh, 
Well, I remember her at the sixth grade graduation. So, yeah, I was All probably right. like 11, 10, 10 to 12 years old. Yeah. So yeah. that is before, let's see, good times. So that would be before she was on, because she was on different strokes as Charlene, right. I believe. Right. Uh, and already looking uh, fine in my day. I mean, she's no Kim Fields, uh, but she <laughs> is. But who is, really? Yeah. Boy, yeah. I wonder what Kim Fields is doing these days. Sarah, what's Kim Fields doing these days? I don't know. All right. Okay. Sorry, I wish I could help you out. No, I'm just thinking, if, you know, she's you know, down enough on her luck. I'm just, I don't, she you know. doesn't look like she would have aged very well. Ah, you don't say that about my Kim Fields. <laughs> um, so, uh, and so you didn't, now, are there any existing photographs of you anywhere with Janet Jackson there, in there, the frame? There was one, and it was our sixth grade picture, and I don't know whatever happened to it. Uh, I don't know where it is. But it are was, you making this up because you look terrible in the photo? No. Yeah, everyone looks bad. Are you bluffing that you don't know where it is? Isn't that awful when you have a picture with somebody famous, but you turn out bad so you can't show Dude, it to anybody? Like, like my ev- Joshua Jackson picture. I can never show it to anybody. You get one out. eye shut or something? Oh, it's awful. Because, like, what? Like every photograph of me taken in the hallway here where everybody looks great, and then I'm kind of going, ah! uh, so. Yeah. There, no, there is a long picture of, because uh, I remember I, I had to show some people years and years ago, look, that's Janet, that's before, you know, everything happened. Sure. Here, but uh, she was very quiet, she was very shy, and uh, the Jacksons were, they were they were nice people. My brother played uh, baseball with Tito's kids, Tito coached at the Little League. Tito. So, yeah, so. All right, then. Anyways, uh, alien hunters are sending text messages into space in a bid to contact little green men like E.T. A satellite dish beams the texts across the universe on radio waves, and they will travel through space forever. Surrey-based SentForever.com was set up with the idea of sending romantic declarations of love into the cosmos. You know, is, uh, alien hunter, is that a paid job or is that a hobby? Where is it based? Uh, it's definitely Europe. I was going to say, because if, if it's anywhere in Oregon, you could probably, uh, you could rustle yourself up a gig doing that. Oregon, <laughs> I mean, Oregon does have a, we- never, never forget, this is in fact uh, the world headquarters of the national, or the uh, International Bigfoot Society, based right here in Portland, Oregon. So, Portland does have a strange uh, affinity for things of an otherworldly nature. And how does that get funded? It's obviously, it's not by the state, the county, the city. Because Oregon is full of crazy rich people. That's the thing. And, I mean, it, you know, and, and everybody here just consumes so many chemicals of whatever nature and we all spend there's like five months out of the year where you can't go outside or you don't want to so everybody here i mean that's why you get you know i mean paul allen's a sort of bad example because he doesn't seem to be overtly crazy but you get a, guy, a lot of guys like that guys with tech money who then will fund something like unbelievably insane uh so i mean that's like those uh, like those those folks that just spend like this is in, in oregon but i was watching this thing the other day on the history channel i'm a sucker for things like this there's a couple keywords on my tivo and I will tape anything that has to do with... I've taken the Loch Ness Monster off recently, actually. When I went to Scotland, I then came home and I felt like I had closed a chapter of my life because I you know, was obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster growing up. And you know, I, you know, and I, I know it doesn't exist and everything, but I, but I went to Scotland and just to sort of see it. And I went out on the loch and it was kind of cool and creepy. And it was, felt like I was sort of like closing the circle from this thing I was into when I was a kid. And so then I came home and I removed Loch Ness Monster from my TiVo. Here's what I have as a TiVo keyword, though. And I would strongly suggest that you do the same. I have Noah's Ark as a TiVo keyword. Here's why. Because like about once a month on the History Channel, they will have a documentary. And I'm not talking about like some old weird like Leonard Nimoy in search of. I mean like an actual real History Channel narrated by Edward Herman documentary. The Search for Noah's Ark. And they will always find some guy who has like nine degrees in astrophysics or master quantum mechanic mathematics or something. And who's got a billion dollars. But who instead of using it to like... I don't know, cure poverty or create a sex bot or something. He's using it to find Noah's Ark. 
And they'll have the camera on this guy, and he sits there and he says, like, really matter-of-factly, well, I've been uh, consulting ancient texts and, uh, you know, reading a lot of Leviticus, and then also using some NASA uh, data. And I believe that I have found Noah's Ark in a crevasse on the southern face of Ararat, not the northern face, which is where the previous expeditions have all gone wrong. And you're sitting there, and you can't help but do the thing of, like, if I was that guy and had that amount of money... I mean, the idea that that you're spending this time looking for a fictitious wooden boat is a little bit astounding, but those guys are always out there. They exist. Oh, so. I just saw a couple of weeks ago uh, they found Herod's tomb on the same history channel. Uh, King Herod from... The from King where, Herod, uh, as in bring me the baby Jesus, King Herod? Uh, way back. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... The I, way back. I don't know if... <laughs> the old one. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think there was one King Herod, maybe 500 B.C., but uh, it's the same deal. It's the history channel. This guy spent his whole life looking for King Herod's tomb, and they finally found it on the on the side of a mountain. Well, I write them. And it's fascinating. On that note, we're, like, way behind. Let's take a break here. We'll come back. More news with Ron Pivo when we return. Uh, coming up later on, Joy of Christmas, as well as uh, my top five songs released in 2008. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. There's some things you just can't put in the minds of those kids. As we celebrate mediocrity, all the boys upstairs want to see how much you'll pay for what you used to get for free. And there goes the last DJ who plays what he wants to play and says what he wants to say. I was honored to be on our next performer's new video. And if I ever record an album, I want this guy to produce my and make me beautiful. Fantastic. I forgot about that, uh, the he's freaking genius part of the game. Oh, Anna Nicole Smith was magical. Yeah, she was. All right, then. Why, hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Although I will say this, just like when you go back and you look at, we were talking about Michael Jackson a second ago. You go back and you look at the Thriller album, or you listen to a truly great song, like Wanna Be Starting Something, or, you know, or Billie Jean, or any of those songs that are really just, you know, unimpeachable classics. Fortunately... He looks so different that you don't have to make that. You know, some artists you have to kind of like, if you find out that they're weird or creepy or they're, you know, like the Gary Glitter Syndrome, you have to sort of like separate, as they say, the stuff from the stuff. With Michael Jackson, he looks so different that you don't have to mentally make the distinction because it seems like a different person. So it is with Anna Nicole Smith, because I've said before, probably to a creepy extent, you go back and you look at that Valentine's issue of Playboy from 1984. It's like the hottest thing I've ever seen because she does this whole pictorial for Valentine's Day in 1994. And it is one of the only Playboy magazines that I ever really kept because I'm not – Sarah won't remember this, but Ron Pivo, uh, who uh, filling in for the laid off Tim Riley today, Portland media professional that you are, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. You probably remember this TV commercial from the 80s where the guy goes, you know, I'm not just a Playboy reader. I'm a collector. <laughs> and then there's like this wacky thing all through the commercial where everything he opens in the house, cupboard – Closet, freezer, refrigerator, you know, wine cabinets. Playboy magazines just come pouring out. 
Because he's got this whole thing about, I mean, could you throw out Miss November just because her month is up? Neither could I. That's why I've got 7,000 Playboys and no real women anywhere. And it was all very, but, so I never really did that. I mean, I was done with the Playboy. I'd chuck it in the trash. Especially because I like to think that there was some young lad who would discover it and then, you know, be ushered into the world of manhood. But, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't think anyone really, you know, get, like, enjoys a used Playboy. No, no, that's not true, Ron Peebo. Really? No. You, clearly, you were never a Catholic... <laughs> You were never a Catholic schoolboy. I know. I, I, I'm actually Jewish, so maybe it's a, a religious thing. There you, there go. you go. Well, I'm just saying, uh, you know, every faith has their own uh, their own strain of repression. Let me tell you about Catholic <laughs> boys. Uh, I went to a Catholic school for nine years, and uh, it was just, you know, which you know, everybody has their story about Catholic school and why it was bad and nuns and rulers and beating and whatever. But, but I mean, you know, as part of that, they just instilled just this tremendous uh, sense of, of guilt in you early on, and just, but it's guilt coupled with like, and if you do any of these things, you will go to a place of fire forever. And so you're sort of, you know, you're constantly, especially as you become a young man, you have all these like warring impulses. And occasionally, though, it seems like the universe puts things there as either a blessing or a test, or possibly both. And I remember being uh, out at recess, and I must have been in maybe. Maybe sixth grade, something like that. We're out at recess, we're on the football field or wherever it was. We're doing doing whatever it is we do at recess. And there was this sort of cyclone fencing, this kind of chain link fencing. And you know how like if, if it's an alley or there's fencing up and the wind blows predominantly in one direction, things just pile up against the fence. Tumbleweeds and wrappers and garbage and whatever. Well, there was in fact, it wasn't Playboy, but it was in fact a penthouse magazine. And, and clearly used, and I don't mean that in any sort of crude way, but I mean... You know, like it had obviously, you know, it wasn't recent. It obviously had been thrown out with the trash. It had like, you know, banana peels or something stuck to it. And but, but I have to tell you, some kid found that at recess. He was like, "Hey guys, look what I found over by the fence by the bowling alley." And then he, you know, he's like, opens it up and it's a penthouse magazine. And of course, you can hear the assembled like the whoa. And I don't know where he kept it. I mean, probably like underneath a drinking fountain or something. But for like a week until it was discovered by one of the teachers. That thing was passed around like it was, in fact, the fabled Rosetta Stone. I mean, it really was just a... It was something... It was quite an exceptional discovery. But the only Playboy magazine I ever kept was the Anna Nicole Smith issue from 94, because it was just... She was so unbelievably beautiful, just so stunningly gorgeous. But then you see that thing where she's all just like... Eh, and it just... It's just sad, and so fortunately she looks so different at that era than she does back in the 90s that, like, you don't have to make the mental distinction, because otherwise you can never find pleasure in that again. You know what I mean? Well, 12 years old, if if you get a a Playboy or a penthouse, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a given. But uh, like I was talking about any used Playboys, if a guy says, you know, you're 25, 30 years old, hey, check it out. I just got the latest issue of Playboy. <laughs> and then he says, uh, hey, I've already looked at it. You can have it, Ron. I, I'm going to take a pass. <laughs> no, thanks, Bob. Yeah, so at 12 years old, that's, that's fine. I understand that. Um, there used to be these real raunchy uh, newspapers that... Uh, raunchy is an underused word these days. Yeah. Well done. On the street corners and, and this and that. They, growing up, I remember, they were right outside the bowling alley, which is probably where they belong to be, uh, deserve to be. Is this growing in California? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were down the, in this... I grew up in the San Fernando, <coughs> San Fernando Valley, which is known as the porn capital of the country. Indeed. Uh, and, and actually, recently, I've gone and visited my parents, and they are complaining now because there are movies being shot 
in and around the neighborhood where they live. I am not kidding you. Now let me ask you this: Have you ever uh, have you ever wondered about one of those movies and thought about renting it just so you could see your house in the background of a porn film? Well, I'm just wondering why this recent development in my parents' neighborhood didn't happen. 25 years ago. I mean, could you imagine? Well, you I mean, used it. I'm 16 years old. I'm bored one summer day. I'm walking down the street. There's a movie being shot. Oh, what's going on? Well, son, it's it's a double X movie. <laughs> Do you need an extra? No, I. Uh, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing. See, that's the kind of thing I think about. And Storm Larger's on the show a couple weeks ago, and we got onto some. Because Sarah, Sarah can't really ever weigh in on this because it's sort of a me thing. But I'm, I am just fascinated. I think a lot, a lot of people by the whole, by just the, the sort of concept and culture of porn. I mean, porn itself, you know, it is, is, my wife hates this phrase, but it is what it is. But, but the culture of porn is just so endlessly fascinating to me, like it was to Paul Thomas Anderson, who grew up, of course, in rather about the same area, and that's why he made Boogie Nights, because he said growing up there, you realize these movies were all kind of made, you know, figuratively speaking, made in your neighborhood, and. You do think about that sometimes. Like, you know, you just you watch some porn film. Clearly, it's like in some dude's backyard, and you're thinking, who is the dude? Who is the backyard? And, like, how how is this arrangement even made? So that is sort of, let me ask you this. Back in the, uh, back in, and I'm sure you're a clean, living, and upstanding man, Ron Peebo. I'm sure that KGW would not have hired anybody, uh, you know, who had any sort of uh, moral smudging. I'm just saying, if you remember back in the 80s when all the porn came on VHS, did you ever do this? Do you ever, uh, like, have a roommate or a friend, some guy staying with you, and then it's like you realize later he's watched one of your porn tapes while you were out? Uh, no. But but I'll tell you what I – I had an inkling as a young child to play the bass guitar and take a lot of lessons, you know. So I, I did that, bow, bow, you know. Yes. That, yeah. All of us in the Valley enjoyed playing bass. I don't know why. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I remember when I was about 12 years old, uh, a buddy of mine, he had a uh, the, the old 16-millimeter yeah. uh, film. So yeah. it was before the VHS and the beta even came out, I think it was about, I'd say, uh, 79 or 1980. Uh, and he, I remember I was at his house one day, and he, he started putting it on, and it was just grainy. It was like Zapruder stuff. Uh, <laughs> and it was porn. And uh, we watched this one time, and, you know, it's just like he put it away, and I think it was his dance. So that was kind of my, my pseudo-introduction. But you're asking about VHS tape? No, I never collected it. I'm not like Jeff Garland from Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, in the, uh, where he, he has it stashed and his wife can't find it. By the way, I'm so totally back on you using the Zapruder film to reference like an old <laughs> old kind of pornography. By the way, I'm not going to make the crude uh, double entendre that everybody is uh, waiting for me to make. It's not what I do. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who might this be? Hi, this is Rick. How are you? Hey, what's up, sir? How can I help you? Uh, I just had to call. Have you ever had somebody give you the greatest gift that you could possibly imagine and then have it just swiped right away from you? Is again? it a gift that feels uh, like a sneeze but better? Uh, better. This no. is, I was driving home on Christmas Eve listening to your show, uh-huh. and uh, I just caught the, the right in the middle of it, and I heard all this reporting about Paris Hilton being thrown in the back of a police car in handcuffs in tears. Yes. All was good with right with the world. The the sound of your voice, just the unmitigated joy was just, and then I figured out it was a, a, a rerun show. Oh, you thought it was actually happening like I a I thought it was actually what? happening again. Oh. And, it, and you, it was there, the, you know, Christmas you know, gift. I would and say that's was, kind of a Haley's Comet story. That's a, that's a once in a lifetime, unless your name uh, is Samuel Clemens kind of a thing. But, but you can have hope, can't you? No, you can't. Well, look, I mean, uh, and it, we never thought that day would come, so it is entirely possible that it might happen again. That really was, that really is just one of the greatest moments in the history of, of, of this program and all its many incarnations, the day they threw Paris Hilton in the clink. That was fantastic. Well, I'm glad we could have, you know, even if it was truncated, sir, I'm glad we were able to give you a little ray of uh, sunshine was, and joy. 
It was five minutes. Five minutes of absolute bliss. I Thank know you. what you're talking about. All right. All right. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Hey now. The only thing better than that was when Britney Spears shaved her head. See, that I would was say. I don't know. I'd say the Paris Hilton thing tops that for me. Ron. Uh. I, I neither. I you know it's, it's not one of those moments for me where I remember where I was when I heard Britney Spears you know shaved her head or got you think less of us don't you? Well, I I uh, she no. does. I, I, I you do. You know what? Now, You're judging right now. Now that I can judge? put a face to the voices, I just I feel that much closer to you guys and can appreciate. Uh, you're avoiding. All the you're things a, you're avoiding the the, the, uh, question. the question. I you you uh, you are thinking less of us right now. You feel that we are beneath you because of our fixation on celebrity gossip. Don't uh, you? Ron no, Peebo. I I think it's fascinating. I do. I do. I, you know, I I where I grew up, there were, I grew up in, in the area where there were. Uh, you know, near Hollywood and this and that. So, I mean, I, I had like six degrees of separation oh, yeah, from a lot of these people. Yeah, I guess we're talking true. to the guy who went to school with Janet Jackson. That's true. Uh, you know. Yeah, but that, that was before she was really Janet Jackson. I would love to say that I, I knew her when she was 22. But you're sort of jaded to the celebrity thing. Oh, no, I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I, I think, I, I think there, listen, if you gave me a week to spend with Britney Spears and just to follow her around, I'd be, I, I would do it. Just because I am fascinated by that lifestyle. Uh, I just think it's 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 strange. It's unique. I mean, you know, you and I, we live boring, mundane lives compared to her. And just to follow her around for a week, just to be kind of like her little buddy for a week, I mean, a week is all I could take, actually, because that's like a year to the rest of us. Oh, by the way, do you see uh, that dad of hers is still getting paid to be her her conservative or guardian or whatever, and they reduced his they reduced his salary. I mean, it's actually and it's actually less than I thought it would be. Sarah, how uh, how much an hour? Do you think the courts are now paying um, Jamie Spears, right? Jamie Spears, no, the dad? No, her sister. No, but it's no, Jamie, Jamie Lynn, because yeah, it's yeah, Jamie, Jamie and Lynn and Jamie Lynn. So how much do you think, in your face, Ron Pivo? Gosh, Ron. Um, so come on, seriously, it. no grass. I, I don't know morning. my Britney Spears trivia, sorry. Well, that's all right. We don't know anything about sports, so. That's okay. Uh, how much an hour do you think Jamie Spears is being paid to be Britney's conservator right now? Hint, it's less than you think. Um, I don't know, uh, 45 it's like 75 bucks an hour, huh. which is way less than I thought it would be. So I guess he's going to continue to run things, but they've downgraded his uh, his salary substantially. So. Well, when do they give that back to her? I mean, does she have to go in? Oh, no, and, there's no giving it back. You mean like control? Control of her, her money, yeah. I don't really know the answer. I think it's sort of an ongoing thing, because I will tell you this, that as much as it frustrates us, because we have this whole theory that Britney is still crazy, it's just that we're not, it's not that they're, it's not that she isn't, you know, Acting crazy, it's just that we can't see the crazy, because what her dad has done is shielded her uh, from public view in many ways. That I think she's probably still just a dummy. The idea, like, that's the kind of crazy you're not going to cure. I mean, she's, like, screamingly nuts, you can tell. But I think the dad has erected some weird force field to keep the media from observing it. He's figured out that he can't stop her from being, like, psychotic, so he has settled for just... It's like, you know what it is? It's like, uh, I'm full of analogies today. It's like when you're running like a virus scan or something on your Windows uh, PC, and it says, you know, like, we have found a virus. What do you wish us to do? You fix, you, whatever, you know, remove, quarantine, and you say, we'll fix it. And then, it, you know, usually the virus software can fix the virus or get rid of it, but sometimes it will say, you know, like, Norton antivirus is unable, McAfee cannot uh, remove this virus. We, we will we'll now quarantine it. And what they do is they create a little encrypted mini folder where they put the virus. So, you know, it's not cured, but, like, it can't get to the rest of the system. I think that's what the dad has done with Britney Spears. He's just quarantined her so we can't see the crazy going on. Well, I think there's, you know, if Paris Hilton, we found out 
today. Paris Hilton went and shaved her head and did the same thing Britney Spears. I think we would put her in this, on the same plane as Britney Spears. It'd be a supernova of a story. Well, yeah, because I, I, you know, I think right now Britney Spears, she seems somewhat sane. I, I think she just went on a bender for a few days with a shaved head and the tattoo. No, no I think, I think see, exactly the opposite. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think she's totally... You know, badass crazy. Yeah. And, like, she's just pretending to be normal now, but the crazy's really? going to come back. Really? No, no, no. It, oh, yeah. Seriously. No, it's a total, like, uh, no, it's a total McMurphy trying to get out of the, uh, the you know, trying to get out of the psych ward uh, the thing she's doing now where she's just pretending to be normal. She, Look at the, the, the You've gone to the bender. I'm going to guarantee you a couple things right now. I, I mean, we've really only uh, known each other for one hour and 59 minutes, Ron Pivo, um, here on KCMD Portland, a CBS radio station, a proud part of the Tiffany Network. We've known each other for, like, two hours. Here's something uh, I can guarantee. You have never shaved your head and then wandered around uh, showing your junk to the world. No. I mean, really, not no. since college, anyway. No, no, that that that. Well, that one night, but I, I came close, but no, I didn't. So that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I that, mean, there's. Yeah, and and you know what? On her behalf, why am I am I sticking for Britney Spears? You sure. really are. It's kind of weird, what, actually. Rick, hey, Rick, I, when I woke up this morning, this is not what I thought I would be doing, sticking up for Britney Spears. But if you if you, we would live her life for a month, two months, whatever. I think we would go a little nutso, too. I mean, we really would. I, I mean, I think maybe she was a little crazy to start with, and then her craziness built, 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 until that one day she went on Ventura Boulevard, right. where I grew up, by the way, and she got her head shaved. And But, but there's uh, so many other celebrities that, you know, go through the same stuff she does. I mean, what's, what's her excuse for being the one who loses it? And I think my thing is, if I was Britney Spears and had, whatever, $50 million, I mean, there comes a certain point where if you're going to complain about paparazzi and you're going to complain about celebrity and fame and people won't leave you alone. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you got the, you know, it's one thing if you're famous but broke. So if you're Gary Coleman or whatever, you know, in other words, people know you, but you maybe aren't independently wealthy. You know, you don't have FU money, as they say. That's one thing. Or if you're like one of those like American Idol freaks, you know, you know, like you're David Archuleta or some crap where it's like, you know, you got all these people like, you know, you got these like fat teenage girls going... David, I love you. At your bedroom window, but like you don't have the money to do anything about it. You're Britney Spears. You're basically at the point you could be buying your own island. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean Tony Robbins owns, owns his own island near Fiji. Britney Spears could certainly do that. So she uh, she doesn't. So I think she's got some weird, you know, she does have some weird, like, loves it, hates it, you know, curses it, can't turn it off kind of thing with celebrity. That would just be my, my take. Yeah, I, I think a lot of celebrities uh, are ready to go off the deep end and have been going off the deep end. Look at Shannon Doherty. Uh, you know, she she came within probably an eyelash of shaving Boy, her head. That's true, mm-hmm. Shannon Doherty. I haven't thought about her for a long time. Is she back on the new on the nine two one zero thing? Yeah, yeah. I just know her better because I just read her about about her in Us Weekly. Does she look bad? She looks terrible. That's too bad. Terrible. She had like some horrible eye lift and like her teeth are totally messed up. <laughs> Mean? That's the kind of bottom line journalism we do here at the Rick Emerson Show. She had an show. eye lift and her teeth are messed up? Yeah, yeah. She has like these huge chiclet teeth that are like spaced Are they apart. caps, do you think? Yeah, they're horrible, but they're oversized and they're not pieced together right. So she has this huge like David Letterman gap. In That's great. Like, it, like somebody just took a bunch of Scrabble tiles. And all the pictures, she's like suspiciously, you know, keeps her mouth closed. Hi. So you can tell she's even embarrassed about it. Shannon Doherty, how are you feeling about the new series? It's great. I can't. It's wonderful. Do this call, then we'll take a break. We'll come back with actual news. I swear to God. I swear to you on all that is holy, we'll do actual news when we get back. And we get to talk about you and your long story of history here in Portland, Ron Peebles. Oh, please don't. All right. We will, though. <laughs> uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. What's up, Rick? How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Uh, when I was, like, in the fourth grade, me and my dad went to a recycling center or whatever, found a box of, like, 20 Playboys. Excellent. Now, who found it? Was it you or your dad? My dad did. 
And so did he, now did, did he give like a noticeable like whoop of excitement? Oh, yeah. Was it like, look at this? Oh, yeah. He, he didn't try to keep him from me either. It was... See, that's a father's love right there. Yeah. Did, now, was, did they go home with you or, or and they, did they hide in the garage from mom or something? No, mom didn't care. Ah, uh, see, there you go. And so were they community property or did uh, like to just divvy them up? No, no, they were just sitting there. If you wanted them, come get them. <laughs> it's sort of like, so it was sort of like the take a penny of the porn world. Where, you know, hey, if you need one, uh, it's right here. You just, uh, you know, if you got one, put it here. Yeah, friends came over and wanted to borrow one or whatever. I just say keep it. Well, of course, well, because yeah. you, your house became the place to be. You had the best house on the block. And getting, and getting a Playboy magazine third hand, uh, it's bad enough to get a hand-me-down. Mm. Any port in a storm, Ron Pivo. <laughs> I don't think you remember what it's like to be young. Uh, the uh, so and final question here: Do any of the uh, playmates or uh, girls sort of stand out in particular in your memory? Uh, well, pretty much all of them do because the, it was from like the early to mid '80s, so there was a lot of hair going on, <laughs> and I'm not really a fan of all that. So. Made, made a, it made a strong impression on you. Yeah. Boy, so, right. so there was a centerfold of winger. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well done. Uh, all right. Thank you. Uh, what is your name, sir? Dylan. All right, Dylan, you call, us, you call us anytime, my friend. All right. All right, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, any, you anytime you go to the recycling center and you find 20 used Playboys, give us a no, call. That's, right? a, uh, that's either a conversion or a marriage that caused that. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. Ron Pivo returns around the corner with uh, actual news. Swear to Christ, real news. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson program. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. This song, of course, uh, reflexively reminds me of my father's place, uh, famed Southeast Portland smokery and eatery, oh. which is where, I know, don't even get me started, but I should say that... I've after, been exclusively going to bars that smoke in them. I'm going to go there, uh, I'm going to go there either tomorrow or New Year's Eve. Maybe New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, just so, and I don't even smoke, but, um... After our obligatory uh, Christmas Eve fight, that's my wife and I went for dinner. So we, uh, Laura and I went on Christmas Eve, because we flew out to Utah Christmas Day. Because what better way to, you know, celebrate Christmas than to go to Provo. So we, um, but on Christmas Eve, we, uh, we did whatever, we took care of the dogs or something. And then we went to my father's place, and this is, this is, this is me, this is, this is why uh, I have the best wife ever. Because we went, this was her idea, by the way, because she had structured the whole evening. And so we were, like, squabbling about Utah, and it was all very unpleasant. And they were like, well, fine. Well, let's move on. And so we, you know, we, did, we kind of transitioned, and then she's like, okay, well, let's let's just continue. I have a whole evening planned. And the plan was we went to my father's place. Ron Pivo, are you familiar with my father's place? No. You no. live in the suburbs, don't you? I, I live uh, southwest Portland. Okay. So you don't so you don't live in some, like, sort of Bethany-type place? Do no. You? I actually lived in East County for about eight years. All right. So I've okay. been on both sides of the river, so... Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with Southeast Portland. All right. So we went to my so my wife had this whole yeah, Christmas Eve dinner thing planned. We went to my father's place and played Kino. Uh and I had just a, just a massive amount of bacon. I mean just so much bacon that you can't even begin How to you stay so thin but eat so crappily. Um well it's because uh it's because I expend most of my energy hating. So uh anyway, so uh so we had dinner at my father's place and played Kino and then we went and we walked we did you know, we went to the the thing, the uh, the Christmas tree light lane thing, the Peacock Lane or whatever that's like up Stark, um, which we do every year. So we parked and we walked through that. 
And uh, and it was glorious. What was my point? Oh, and then we went to Provo. You would ask me during the break, Sarah. Mm. I was talking about how when I was in Provo and then Orem, which is the even smaller town on the outskirts of Provo this last weekend, you go to the mall there. And it's just everywhere you look, it's pregnant teenagers. I mean, and, but I said that the distinction I made during the break, and so we, you didn't hear this, but the, I made the distinction that when you are in Utah, you see pregnant teenage girls everywhere. But I said, not the Bristol Palin kind, sort of the Mormony kind. And you said you didn't know what the distinction was. Yeah. It, the distinction is, you know, the Bristol Palin, I mean, look, Bristol Palin's a, she's just a hillbilly. You can tell. I mean, she's just trash, uh, which I say with love. Look, I love trashy girls. I really do. But, I mean, you can tell that that's just a... You know, that's a family that smokes a lot of Lucky Strikes. I mean, you, you just, you just, there's a lot of scratch-offs and just canning of sauerkraut in that family. But, like, you go to a Utah mall, and the girls are all pregnant, but they're just, like, imagine if you took, like, a really attractive, and I don't mean even attractive, like, trashy attractive, like, you took a really legitimately attractive, smiley, toothy, really perfect skin, perfect features, blonde girl. Like one of those girls that comes from the Disney, you know, store or whatever. You know what I mean? That Disney factory where they make teen teen idols. One of those girls that comes from that sort of Disney teen idol machine. Like one of those, uh, it's a lot of girls that look like they should be in High School Musical. Okay. Except they're pregnant, you know, because married, blah, 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 the bounty of God, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's just, it's a weird, and it kind of screws with your head a little bit. It's like It's like a whole bunch of things that don't go together. All right, joined today by Ron Peebo, who, of course, uh, has worked. Uh, he worked at uh, KGW from 1998 to 2007. Uh, you were a sportscaster all over our fair state. Uh, you started. Now, where did you start? I started in Roseburg, down in Roseburg. I, gra- I graduated college in uh, late 89, got my first job in, uh, at the CBS station in Roseburg, Oregon, in 1990. February 1st it was my first day on the job down there. Now, was it always TV for you, or did you go through radio? No, I, I did some radio in college, but it has been TV from, uh, yeah, ever since I got here. Now, how did you first... So you said this is your you started your career, but you you start you weren't on camera probably at that point. Or in were Roseburg, you? yes, yeah. really, yeah, yeah. I, you, you put together a, a tape in college, and then I sent it out, and uh, wouldn't you know it? Station Roseburg, Oregon called me, and they said uh, I would like to offer you a job. We're going to pay the handsome salary of six dollars and twenty five cents an hour. Can you be here on Monday? And I had to look on a map because I'd never even heard of Roseburg. And uh, so I go, well, how do I get there? And they said, well, just I-5 North, get off at milepost 126, make a left, go behind Taco Time, and that's where we are. Fantastic. And I stayed there for two years. Um, Not not at Taco Time. Yes. Yeah, Did you eat a lot of taco time? I, you know, well, I don't even think I went there once, to be honest with so, you. So now, what was the nature of your on-camera gig? Were you sportscasting, news, yeah, I, weather? I did, I did news and sports uh, in Roseburg because it was four people in the newsroom. It was a bureau of a Eugene station. Uh-huh. Yeah, bureaus in Coos Bay and also in Roseburg. And so, yeah, I had to do news stories during the day, and then I do sports at night. So it wasn't a full-fledged sportscast. And so... I, you know, I was there, and I was 22, 23 years old out of college, and they had me doing these stories about city council, and this was when the Spotted Owl was really big. I remember the Spotted Owl. I, I remember that well. And really, I was, you know, I, I was supposed to be this authority on the Spotted Owl and about environmental issues and about the logging industry. I, I knew nothing about it, and I was telling these people for two years about the Spotted Owl and everything. I, I just knew nothing about it. So if I had to apologize to the people of, uh, of Douglas County, I, I, I do owe, owe them an apology because I, I got to learn a lot about it, and I did find out about Behold it. Behold the power of television, though, that as long as you sort of like <laughs> – I mean, you know, and you know how it is. I mean, of course, I have very limited television experience. Sarah has, has more than I do, but certainly I, I wouldn't call myself an authority on that. So – but you, but it is all about just the just the confident smile and that's it. You know, it's, as Michael Keaton says in the paper, a clipboard and a confident wave will get you in any building in the world. So it is on television, where you just sort of like 
You know, it, it's all just about... It's about just the, uh, it's all about this. I'm gathering these papers in my hand. It's all about ending the story by gathering the loose papers and then tapping them down and going, well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Be sure to join us for the late report at 11 o'clock and then tomorrow for the early wake up at 5 a.m. And until then, this is, uh, you know, whoever, you know, in my case, me, the Ron, this is Ron people saying you have a great night and we'll see you tomorrow. And then you smile at the camera, and then you feign like banter with the other person. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And you are instantly believable. Yeah. Yeah. You put on the tie, you put on the makeup, and the next thing you know, you are the authority on so many different subjects. Yeah. And uh, the, the one thing I had to do every Friday was do this fishing report. Uh, the only times I ever fished when I lived down in L.A. is when my dad took us to these big swimming pools, like little trout farms. A stocked pond. A stocked pond. That was my extent of my fishing career. Well done. And so every Friday I would have to do these fishing reports. And I had to call this guy who owned this uh, tackle shop, and he had to give me the report. And I tell you what, I you know, this, well, I remember this one time. He goes, uh, the uh, I don't know how to, I still don't know how to pronounce it, a fish, C-R-A, is it crappie? Yes. Yes, okay. it is crappie. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's not spelled that way, Rick. No, it's not. And so uh, guess who was doing the fishing report that night? <laughs> so uh, you, you have to become authority, and, and uh, I hope people believe me at the time. It was, it was, it was hard. Doing you have to, now, Sarah probably doesn't know the punchline of this story, though. So the fish is called a crappie. That's how it's pronounced. Uh, yeah. Please now to, uh, please now to, to uh, you know, sort of edify Sarah about how that probably came out on the air. I can't say that. Oh, yeah. Have you been listening to this show? <laughs> you know, we said okay. anus like 50 times that's, earlier, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, if you're uh, if you're going out fishing this weekend, make sure to get down on a South Umpqua where the crappie are really biting. Yeah, because that's how it's spelled. Oh, yeah. really? And it's like, well, it's like a couch cooch thing. You just look at it and you just don't really, you go, really? It's pronounced like that? Yeah. You're sure. Uh, so, but, so every Friday there was a lot of crappy fish. <laughs> and that's the sort of thing you don't really realize you don't know until you do it on the air, and then everybody and their freaking like, brother. Like, I still don't know how to pronounce it. Like, Yahats. Yahats. Yeah, but it's spelled like Yakets, I remember. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I've always mispronounced Yeah, that. well, and the Northwest is littered with things. like Again, because everything's like an Indian name. Yeah. So it, it's just, it is like a linguistic landmine field up here. You know, it is just uh, everywhere you go. Have you ever done this? Probably, and I would imagine you haven't really done this in TV. In TV, this probably isn't much of a menace. In radio, there was always the danger that you will have to interview someone you don't know anything about. And I don't mean like you, like you just sort of booked the interview last week and you've been, you know, like you're not really familiar with their whole catalog. I mean someone you don't know. Uh, has that ever happened to you? Uh, pretty much. I mean, look, when news reporters in this, here's a, here's a, I don't know if it's a, it's a trade secret, but uh, oftentimes when reporters go out on stories, they pretty much get a press release or some information about the story as they're driving to the story. So they have, seriously, they have 15 minutes. Bullet to, points. Exactly. They have 15 minutes to prep. Um, and, and that goes on in every market in this country. So, uh, you're asking, have you ever gone out? All the time you go out on stories. Now, oftentimes I would book the story so I would know exactly what they're about. But a lot of times, news reporters, Reporters are in meetings from 9.30 to 10. They're given a piece of paper and say, hey, there's uh, uh, something going on here. There's a, a, a meth bust, but it's the step, whatever it's going on. And they would have to study it, and boom, in 15 minutes. And, and, and it's a credit to the reporters that they could actually do a credible job and put together a story because every day it's a different story. Right, And they right. do that every day. And you just, and for me, and, you know, the thing is sometimes, and this is I'm not just speaking about you or TV people in general, but, I mean, in the media, so often when somebody is speaking, and it seems, again, that they are speaking very knowledgeably about something, it's just this Potemkin village of reporting because if you were to lean on it even the tiniest bit, it would all just fold in. <laughs> like if somebody were to ask, 
I've done these. I've done these sort of these interviews, you know. And it's been. I there was this sort of laughable point in my career when they they tried to like I was having to do news, like actual and not news here where it's like all penis stories. But I mean like actual news. And it's like I would have to be. I used to have to do this um, when I was in radio a long time ago. I used to have to do these sort of radio. Kind of like public affairs, but even like drier than a typical public affairs thing, you know, usually is. It was like interviews with like a city council person who was like talking about some school bond levy, something or other. We would take calls and I would sort of pretend that I was knowing what I was talking about. But if you would ask me one follow up question, it all just would have caved in like a bad, soggy house of cards. <laughs> I just had no idea. But the and the only other time I can think of. Where I really got thrown at the deep end. You got to know this about me. Uh, I love music. I love, and I, I grew up as a real rock fan and so forth. But I, I have no taste for progre- for prog rock at all. Progressive rock and I, are just, it's just not my thing. So any like Emerson, Lake and Palmer, or Rush, or you know, like, yes, it, yes, is actually the story I'm leading up to. Oh my god. Yeah, and so any of that, it's just like a foreign language to me, and it's like I actively loathe most of it. So I have no knowledge. But there was. The station I was working for at the time, this rock station, they had, they were really happy because they booked, they'd gotten a phone interview with the drummer from Yes, this guy, I think his name was Alan White, and he was the drummer from Yes, but the guy who was supposed to do the interview, uh, the uh, DJ who was supposed to be there, he hadn't shown up or flat tire or, you know, couldn't find his bong or something, and so he, he wasn't there, but it's like they were just, they'd been pimping it all, we're going to have an interview with the drummer from Yes, and there was nobody to do it. And so, you know, and this was before the days of, like, uh, five stations in a building. I mean, it was just us. And so, like, I was one of the only people there. So, like, I think the receptionist or somebody was like, get in there and interview the guy from Yes. And I have, I don't even think there's a tape of it. But there was at one point, if you've been listening to the station, you know, whatever, 18 years ago or something, you would have heard me as, like, a a squeaky-voiced, like, 17-year-old faking my way through this interview with a drummer from Yes I had zero, I mean zero knowledge about that band beyond the fact that every time I heard it, it was like a test to see how fast my arm could reach the dial. <laughs> and and the fact that I loathed his music. So there's me going, so, uh, you're in, yeah. And it was like that Chris Farley, you know, what's that like to be in yes? I bet it's cool, you know, and just it was just awful. That's how I felt working on 94.7 sometimes, too. It's just like, you know, you have to feign all of this knowledge about something that totally. you know nothing about. You're having to sit there like you own the Violent Femmes box set or something at home. Pretend like you know everything that some artist has ever done, but you really, yeah, you're just hoping that nobody asks the follow-up question. Completely, your hose. So tell me, guy who plays bass guitar for Geggy Ta, uh, who are your influences? Yeah, it's just the worst. I remember interviewing someone, uh, and they wrote a book, and so I was asking him questions. I don't know what it was about, but da 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 da. And then he goes, uh, he goes, well, I'm, you know, in the book it says da da da. You read the book, didn't you? Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, no, I didn't. It's 250 pages long. I have a life. I'm not going to read every book that everyone gives me. Good for you. Uh, but I, I kind of felt bad, you know, because and now I wonder, like, when Oprah does that and Larry King, they, they don't read no. those books. No, it's, it, no, it's totally bullet points. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, I don't know, but it would have to be. Yeah. I mean, because look, I mean, but they even reference po- points of the book. But they, but they have readers for that. Don't you imagine they have? There's a staffer that reads the book. And distills it down. It, it, they have to. Because, right? And here's the reason I say that. I mean, because the litmus test for that has got to be Jay Leno. You know, Jay Leno's probably never read a book in his life. Jay Leno has probably never read anything longer than you know than like the owner's manual. Uh, you know, to a, to you know to a Buick. I mean, that's it. I can't I can't see Jay Leno. I'm gonna go home and curl up with uh, Tolstoy. I mean, he just doesn't happen. Uh, but you'll see him interviewing some author. 
and he's propping up the book, and he goes, uh, it's a great book, and it, uh, it's on sale now, and I really, you really ought to read it, and uh, let's welcome now Jonathan Franzen, you know, or whoever, and he brings some guy out. And, you know, and, and, and then he will always go to the one anecdote from the book. He goes, well, you know, the part of the book that I really found fascinating, and Larry King does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Larry King, man, it's all that guy can do to stave off a coronary, uh, you know, <laughs> long enough to go home and give it to his seventh wife. So there's got to be some intern. That just boils the book down into like a series of small flashcards with huge print for like Larry King to use. And and they also actually open the book and they'll read a portion of that. Like uh, I saw Oprah Winfrey a couple of weeks ago and she was uh, interviewing Barbara Walters. And so they they went to a part of the book. Well, you know when you when you you know uh, married your third husband, da 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 da, and they should read from the actual right, book. Right. And and yeah, it has to be an intern. It has to be a staffer who said, "Hey, Oprah, this is very interesting." And she kind of you know dogged. Uh, well, and Oprah's like the smooth. that's at the smooth though. She can sell anything. I mean, Oprah can really. I mean, she she really is. She is really like one of those one of the uh, mythical sirens uh, that you have to plug your ears against because anything she says just seems to it just. You just instinctively believe it, and nobody would question her. No, see, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, that and that's see, and that's the prob that's the problem for Oprah because I know right now, this is like the third time it's happened to her too. I think right now she's getting she's getting hit for some other some book that she endorsed that turns out to all be fabricated. Another one. Um, just and it was just in the news last night. The third book. It was like that James Fry bastard, that guy that wrote the million little pieces or whatever. And then there was some second book that happened about a year after that, and I was just reading last night. There's some, like, World War II memoir or whatever, and she's like, you know, and Oprah's doing her thing of, like, it is the greatest love story I have ever read, and I cannot, and, and they, she had, like, the couple on that wrote the book about how they met or whatever, and then it turns out it's all just pulled out of some guy's ass, and so, like, the third time Oprah's gotten nailed, which especially sucks for her, because you know that every time Oprah says, and you all ought to buy it, that there's just, like... Like, you can feel the tectonic activity as billions of housewives walk to the door and get in their cars and go to the store to buy it. So, Jesus, and we've again done no news here. Well, let's wrap this segment up by saying, so you then, so you were at KGW for a long time. Yeah, I was there from uh, for about eight or nine years. Yeah, a great, you know, the, the time I was there was great. People are, are, are great, all the, the anchors and the reporters, they're really wonderful people, and uh, I, I definitely enjoyed my... Now, how did that uh, how did that come to an end, Ron Peebo? It came to an end uh, in a dark room, Rick. Uh, As it always does. Yes, it does. It's uh, with the human resources person sitting there. It was a day I, I was in the middle of a contract, and they brought me upstairs one day, and they say, hey, we got budget cuts, and unfortunately... Unfortunately, you're you're being cut. Wow, uh, it's yeah, it was, like the ghost of Christmas past, right here in the room. Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember just being uh, let up the stairs, thinking. And you know, did you have any inkling? It was not coming? at all. No, really? I, was in, I was in the middle of a contract. No, uh, uh, but there's a provision. There's a, a little deal in everyone's contract and says, you know, we can terminate this agreement with or without sure. cause. And, yeah. da, 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 da. and I was being brought upstairs, and I just go, you know, why? I have no idea. And this, did know, they say like, uh, can we? We need to talk to you for just. Yeah, how did they? How did exactly. they get you? What was the actual? Yeah. What was the phrase they used to get you? I'm curious. The other people have you brought in? Have you kind of? Have they gone another? Oh yeah. It's pretty, yeah. Everyone has their own little story to tell. Um, no, it was just, it was a Monday, and I came in, and the boss came in, and he goes, hey, uh, how you doing? Good. Uh, we, I need to talk to you upstairs. So he walked me upstairs, uh, making small talk the whole time, and I get up there in this little tiny room, and the human resources person sitting uh, there. And, oh. Like the angel of death. Yeah. Oh, it, it was just, yeah. And they uh, they go, uh, sit down. And I, and I had no idea. I mean, you don't think, because there was no, usually if there's budget cuts, there's, you know, whispers, oh, they're having a bad year, this and mm -hmm. that. There was nothing like that. Or there's that. been, like, warning shots of other it, people lower, you know, other people maybe you know, uh, you know, whatever other departments or something, you know, yeah. sometimes lower on the food chain, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, there was no, there was nothing like that. And so they just said, uh, hey, we're, we're penciling ahead for the next year. And unfortunately, you know, we're having some cuts and yada, yada, yada. And so, uh, you know, it, it, what was the phrase? Did they use the phrase, um, 
laid off, let go, fired, uh, position eliminated, it, reductions. Uh, it, you know what? After after they said it, I, I, it all went dark. It's a blur. It all went dark, Rick. Oh, I've yeah. been there. A lot of people have said that, too, when yeah. they're recounting. They're like, I don't really remember exactly what happened. I think yeah. Heidi Tauber said the same thing. Yeah. I think that she remembered a moment of blinding rage, and then it was all just a big blank. <laughs> and then there were carts being thrown down the yeah. Line. yeah. You know, yeah, everyone reacts differently. You know, and I even, I remember asking them, I go, listen, I'd be more than happy to renegotiate my contract. You know, I, I, I want to be here. Right. Uh, you know, but but there was there was none of that. There was no, uh, you know, hey, we're having some hard times. We really value you. You meet us halfway. Yeah, I mean, I would have been more than happy to do that, but uh, I guess you know, and the edict probably came down from you know corporate in another state that you know no, it just has sure. to be you know they saw a number on a page and they go no, we need it to be zero. Now did you? <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, wow. What we're looking at is. Zero. You know, you know, and and what I what I wish I would have done at the time. Um, my favorite show of, of all time is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, Larry David. Uh, he used to be a writer on Saturday Night Live, and I remember seeing an interview with him. And, and if you remember in the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza he works uh, for the Yankees, and then he gets mad and he walks out and he really regrets it. Well, Larry David told the story that that's actually a true story. When Larry David was a writer for Saturday Night Live, they never used his his skits, and he just got so mad. And one day he just left. He just I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And he really regretted it because to be a writer on Saturday Night Live is a big deal. Yeah. Sure. So he asked some friends. He goes, well, what should I do? And he goes, just go back on Monday and pretend it never happened. <laughs> and that's the episode of Seinfeld. That's so Larry, fantastic. Larry David went back and he went to the job and everyone's like, what are you doing here? You quit. You thought I quit? No, I was just joking. <laughs> that goes, is awesome. wonderful. So I should have just gone back. Ron, we laid you up. No, uh, you, no, you didn't. didn't. <laughs> oh, oh, you! I should prepare. I should go back, like t- tomorrow. I should do sportscast and pr- put on my makeup. And that would be wonderful. Because think oh, of how awkward it would be, be for so them. Awkward and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> See, somebody should do that. Somebody out there. That who... happened in Mad Men too. Remember when? Um... When the secretary got fired. Oh, that's Joan, right. That's she, right. Like, and then she came. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what's her name? Sterling tells her to come back. Yeah. Somebody who you know maybe. Uh, because I mean, I guess it all depends on how many you know, and how how many you know, if you care about burning your bridges. But somebody you know ought to do that, uh, and then but you know sort of secretly film it and then post it as like a YouTube thing, like you know where they just go back and like you know and just see if they. Because how would they even handle that? I don't know. I mean, especially if you and maybe every now and again just sort of giggle to yourself as you're typing along, just sort of yeah. You know, and then just go back to typing. I bet they give you a good day and a half before they even said anything to you. Well, to their credit, they they gave me the choice. They go, listen, Ron, you know, take the rest of the day off. You know, you know, if you want to come back for three months, because it was a severance deal. They go, you can come back for three months, put together some tapes, and you know, this and that. You don't have to leave today. It's up to you. Take a day to decide. So I did stay there for additional three months, which was a very awkward, awkward well, three and months. Well, and you know, that's that's pretty unheard of too, because you know we. You know, obviously, you know, we had the, you know, not not just here at the station, but there's, you know, been a lot of cutbacks in the industry, and, you know, CBS is no exception. And so when, you know, they eliminated, uh, you know, Tim Riley's position, which was, you know, we've sort of, you know, and everybody kind of knows the story by now, and uh, but it was a credit, you know, not just to how well-respected uh, Tim is, but also did the CBS and how much they kind of, no one wanted it to happen, that they did something that is very unheard of in radio of, you know, the full day to say goodbye and the farewell, which is, doesn't really happen a lot, but, they get, but actually three months. Yeah, I was there for three months, and uh, they let me, you know, I did the sports cast. They let me put, you know, tapes together. They knew that, that what I was doing. They said, we'll help you out and get another job if, if we can and this and that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was very awkward because I'm walking around. I was dead man walking. You know, right, I, I really right. was. I was Sean Penn. Uh, just walking around knew, knowing that, you know, on, on X amount of day, whatever day And did was. everybody else know? Like, well, did they know the, you? Did, would you pass people on the hallway? They're like. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the countdown is on. It's won't be allowed. To yeah, stay. 
Um, after a, a couple days, uh, everyone uh, the word in, the news, out. in the newsroom knew that, uh, yeah, there were layoffs because there was another reporter at the time, and she left right away. Um, and so, you know, they went, well, Ron is still around. Ron now, do they pay around. you? If you left right away, do they still pay you? Yeah, I forget what the whole deal was. But, uh, yeah, because there's a, there's a union. You were, I was in AFTRA, right. know, Federation of TV and Film or whatever. Um, and so there was, yeah, I mean, but it wasn't a, a money issue. It was more like, hey, just let me get my stuff together. Let sure. me get a tape together. Let me make some calls and this and that. And I worked. It was normal. It was like it was real normal. But I know everyone was thinking, gosh, he's, he's still here and he's, you know, when's he going to leave? And, and, you know, so finally they gave me a cake on my last day. And we ate it. And they I said, gave you a cake. Did, did yeah. they just hide your last day? All of a sudden, they showed up with a cake, and they're it, like, "Okay." It was, it. it was a set day. It was okay. a, it was three months from from uh, you know when it was, it was like December fourth, and then you know it was I don't know when it was a cake I, decorated with pain. Yeah, that Why must they have been the, the cake so long. Said a big frowny face, a black rainbow. The seriously, that must have been the most awkward cake. A cake. <laughs> At that point, you almost like the cake almost just seems it's perverse. Funny. Well, Seriously. I don't know how it is in other hey, TV fired guy, room. have a cake. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, there's, there's a file That's in like there. like giving you a cake if you get a, like a tumor. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm sorry you got cancer. Have a have some pie. I mean, that's just weird. I don't know how it is in other uh, TV newsrooms, but when I was at KGW, we had a lot of cake. Uh, we had cake uh, for uh, celebrations uh, once a month for birthdays. We had cake uh, during sweeps. And when I was there, we won a lot. So February, May, November, at the end of those months, we would have cake again. Right. We'd have ice cream sundaes. Uh, so, so yeah, they had they had a, an account uh, with with a certain bakery where we had a lot of cakes. So it was normal. My last day, you know, boom, boom, boom. Dialed the phone number. Hey, we need the uh, cake. hey, we need the number four today. <laughs> yeah, the firing cake. Uh, no, 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 no. That was last time. This is Ron. Yeah. R. As in uh, Reagan, O as in yeah. That's what would you recommend when you lay someone off? Uh, carrots? Was it? I have to ask you this final question. Was it even a good cake? Uh, oh yeah, I think it was. A lot of cakes, a lot of companies default to that weird cake that is like that weird puddingy middle layer that's no good. Uh, I, I'm I, saying for me a basic white or, or chocolate cake or maybe carrot. Well, yeah, I would accept carrot. Here's the funny thing is that I I think they did ask me what kind of cake I wanted. <laughs> The but, kind with money but, in it and but, a job. But unfortunately, the person who who was in charge of ordering the cakes, the newsroom assistant, she was also laid off with me. That's great. So that's why I think I got a bad cake. I can't remember it all now. Because because then it fell on a temp who never. I've never ordered the firing cake. How do you? <laughs> Firing. How do you do that? It's, I'll just get whatever they have. It, it's got to be on speed dial, the bakery, doesn't That's it? That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, not for you. Uh, all right. But, uh, all right. Well, there you go. See, and so everybody has had their 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 story and. You know, for for good or bad, I mean, we've had, you know, as we've said, it's kind of bittersweet that there's been a lot of folks to sort of come on here and, you know, and kind of, kind of help out with the news. Although in your case, I think you have actually, you hold the record actually for the least news we've ever gotten from <laughs> so far. I don't know if that's a good thing or, um, or a bad thing. But everybody's story's been a little different. We had Dave Schmidtke was here. Um, he was the last person we had in. And um, he was here last week and he told the story about they fired 30 in one day when he was a coin, I think it was. He wow. fired 30 in a day. And they had they had this gesture of goodwill. They were firing everybody, and then they had cabs waiting outside. <laughs> and he said, literally, I mean, I guess they were trying to do that, you know, as companies so often do, trying to do the right thing, but just like effing it up. Some just they couldn't quite, you know, like they don't quite know how to be human, but they can sort of approximate it, but it's just wrong somehow. And it's sort of like using salt instead of sugar in the cake or whatever. And so they. They fired all these people, and he said it literally was like it was like firing as designed by Henry Ford. It was like an engineering. It was like a, just a, like an assembly line, where it's like HR would talk to you, 
and then your boss would talk to you, and then he'd sign a form, and then he'd hand you a thing, and then he'd give you a box, and then you'd get your stuff, and then you'd walk outside, and they'd hand you a voucher for the cab, and then you'd get into the cab. And he said there was a line of cabs uh-huh. down the street. And the one little detail that was great, though, is he said that the company fired like 30 people. They gave you a cab voucher, but on the voucher, they neglected to put the amount of the tip. And so he said that everybody who got fired was like, tip, $150. (laughs) So, like, Coin had to pay, like, five grand in cab tips that day, which was (laughs) glorious. So, all right, we should take a break here. We'll come back, I swear to God. We'll do some news. News. News when we return. Uh, Ron Pivo is here. He can be reached at ronpivo.com. R-O-N-P-I-V-O.com, yes? Uh, no. (laughs) No. Can I? That's not at all where he can be reached. (laughs) Well, what the hell's at rompevo.com? Well, no, seriously, I do have that website. That's if I ever send out any TV stuff of mine, that's where you could find it. But don't uh, reach him there. No. And whatever you do, don't go to my uh, blog where I put that up as his contact <laughs> point. How embarrassing! We'll, we'll give it. Well, I'll give my contact out. Okay, then. Back after this is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yeah, you figure it out, you let me know. Oh, I will. It's just a big, that smoking ban is just a labyrinth of, of legal minutia. Well, it's totally confusing because, yeah, this is saying that if it's a freestanding building, then you still can smoke. See, but I don't think that's true. I don't mean to disparage uh, whoever it was that told you that. I uh, just, I mean, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Because if freestanding buildings were exempt from the smoking ban, then, like, fraternal organizations wouldn't be bitching about it. Like the, uh, like, you know, like your Knights of Columbus Hall or a Moose Lodge or something. I think they're affected by the smoking ban. And almost all of those are freestanding buildings. That's true, because, like, the Eagles Lodge on 50th and Hawthorne is freestanding. Totally. But maybe if part of that freestanding building is non-smoking, because you said the space room, and I was talking about my father, you know, my father's place obviously is part of a larger building. But, I mean, sometimes it's like there's a bar, but it's attached to a non-smoking restaurant. So that even if they have the same owner, if they're partially non-smoking, maybe that then puts them under the aegis of the smoking ban. I'm trying to think of freestanding bars. I don't know. The whole thing just infuriates. Yeah, it is. It's confusing. I, I, you know, and the thing is, and I kind of here's the smoking ban is sort of like when Ron Pivo was talking about Michael Jackson. Saying that you don't, if he's not the news, you don't, you forget about it. That because I don't smoke, the smoking ban isn't really top of mind awareness with me. But every time I go to a bar. Uh, I think about it, and I just get furious all over again. No, all my friends and I have just oh. been going, like, and a lot of my friends don't smoke, and of course I don't either. Of course. Um, but uh, but we've just been going just only two bars that are still, that have, uh, uh, allow you to smoke in them. Yeah, you know, we were talking about earlier. It's going to be different. It's going to be so different. Because it's, uh, like Angelo's? Can no. you picture, An- like, all those old men sitting no. in there without their cigarettes? No, and, and, then, and that's my thing. Uh, and then and then uh, we'll, uh, hello, Ron Pivo, how are you today? Oh, good, good. I was, I was outside having a cigarette, sorry. On a scale of 1 <laughs> to 10, uh, how awkward do you find most of today's program to be for you? It, it, this is, it's great. It's, uh, this is, no, everything right. is great. I, you feel that like you've been uh, lovingly embraced by the Rick Emerson family? I do. This is, you know, for, for just meeting you guys for the first time today, I think we've bonded, we've connected. Um, you know, we can we can do a lot of things I together. I do feel we... <laughs> we were talking about Pictionary later, right? And swinging. Yeah. Yes. Read magazines. <laughs> no, because you, I I thought you were going to Raising Arizona. Oh, okay. uh, wait oh, you did play that today. Yes, I did. Um, 
So, uh, okay, this final thing I'll say about it. But, when I, but Laura and I uh, spent Christmas Eve uh, at my father's place, which is, uh, you know, the bar in uh, Southeast Portland, which is uh, it's a glorious place. And as during the break, if you're spending, and there was all these great, like, just, just dirtbag types in there. I mean, it's just, just wonderful. Just, you know, just, just my, my people. And I love going to my father's place. It's always a transient being physically removed. Completely. Seriously. Don't bum smoke in here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, and the bartender's always beating some guy's ass, and they're kicking. They're for, somebody's being forcibly objected because they don't know when to say no to the Bloody Marys. And, you know, and there's, you know, there's like, there was the, all those, like, little, like, the chunky, like, dust. Clunks, like clumps hanging totally. from the ceiling. And there was the greatest, oh. there was a, the greatest combination of music. It was like somebody had done the jukebox just for Lara and myself because it was, at one point there was, I think, the Smiths back to back with Slayer, and so it went right from you know like whatever like War Ensemble to like some Smiths song, and during the Slayer song. We looked over and there was this couple sitting at the table, like in the middle of the of the, the smoking session, my father's place, and the the guy had like these long Rob Zombie dreadlocks and the girl had like this short spiky blonde hair and they were both smoking and they were kind of like leathery looking and they were like leaning in and this sounds so impossibly uh, like scummily quaint but it was true they were like leaning in and they were like singing the Slayer song to each other as though it were like a Cole Porter uh, you know lullaby that's so cute and then they kind of high-fived and then they kissed and then they went back to eating french fries or whatever it was so great and I was looking around thinking, you know, like if you're at my father's place on Christmas Eve, you are a certain kind of person. And I say that with love. You know, you're cut well, from you a... Because you are one of those people. Right, because I was there too. Yeah. You're cut from a certain cloth. And it's like those people, you know, they deserve their place. They deserve, you know, they deserve their own place to hang out, their own place to socialize, to meet with others. And it just it just seems so uh, so wrong that everything has just got to be taken out of the... You know, that everything, this whole world has got to be structured for 10-year-olds. just infuriates me. Well, in any event. Hello, Ron Pivo. Want to get back to the news? Let's do some news, and let's signify it by playing the news opener. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Could I, could I also get a, uh, a teacher watch? Ladies and gentlemen, here's your teacher watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. A female teacher accused of sex with teen, a teacher on leave from a private high school in Minnesota, faces charges she had sexual relations with a 17-year-old girl who had been her student. A girl. Yeah. A girl on girl, actually. Girl on girl. I don't think I noticed that. Yes. Uh, Cohn had been the teacher's, uh, okay, her name is Diana Cohn. She's 30 of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, or as they say in, uh, well, no, no, Fargo was filmed in Minnesota, but yes. uh, you can do the... Uh, Probably the same voice, can't you? No, when you say Kenosha, I just uh, I just think of that Weezer video for Buddy Holly. Because um, oh, I think Weezer is from Kenosha. Or what? maybe not. Well, I th- Maybe that's just because it's in the video where the guy says, Kenosha, Wisconsin's own Weezer. Well, was Happy Days, where was that based? Well, that was oh, yeah. somewhere in Wisconsin. I thought that was in Kenosha. Okay, let's stop. We got like nine different things happening. <laughs> I think Happy Days was in Kenosha, but now my question is, is Weezer... Also from Kenosha, and that's why they made the video. Or did they already have that video in mind? And for the purposes of the video, they are simply faking that Weezer is also from there. Because there's the thing where Al says Kenosha, Wisconsin's own oh, Weezer. Yeah. And so, like, did they, you know, rejigger history for the for the video, or is that actually because they're from there? I realize now I don't care. Anyway, yeah, I 
I, I didn't know why I thought Happy Days uh, they, the, the, the cutting hold on. were cutting. <gasps> hold on. Hold on. Somebody's this, ringing. Oh, this, it's the mystery phone. Okay, somebody left this phone in the studio. We don't know whose it is. And you can't unlock it. Hold on. But can I answer it, though? I don't know. I can't even answer it without the code? Hello, I'm, uh, for the love of... Now, see, uh, see, I I, hello, no, without the, without the, without the security code, you can't even answer it. That's ridiculous one, yeah, because you're trying to figure out whose phone it is, but they have, like, some intricate security code on there, so you can't open it, so you can't see whose it is. So this cell phone was found on the floor of the studio this weekend, but nobody knows who it belongs to. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to answer it just now, and I think without the security code, you can't even answer it. Well, it seems like a pain. It does. All right. Well, there you go. The battery should be dying any minute now. Right? All right. I'm okay. sorry. So let's get back to Kenosha. So there's a teacher in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and apparently she was having sex with a former student of hers. Uh, the teacher's name is Melissa Diana Cohn. Uh, she had been the teen's teacher and coach last year at St. Croix Lutheran High School in West Paul St. Uh, West St. Paul. Uh, that's what the authorities said. She continued to see the girl after starting her leave of absence from the school in June, sometimes sleeping over at the teen's home, police said. The girl still attends the school. Now, i got like many questions about this. First of all, of what was she a coach? Uh, soccer. Well, it says that they were kissing. Are you guessing? <laughs> you are the sports guy, Ron Tito. Yeah, this is a... Yeah, so we picked this for you, Ron they, they, hockey? they were kissing in a car in a parking lot near a soccer field Saturday. So, uh, my guess, practice... This is the scenario we're dealing with. It was a different kind of practice. <laughs> practice got over. Stayed late doing penalty kicks. Why don't you come on over to my car? I'd like to show you something. And boom, it started happening. I pieced this all together, Rick, because I've become fascinated with the show, The First 48. I don't know what that is. You don't watch The First 48? That's a good show. What is The First 48? It, it concentrates on on crimes and how, like, basically, if you don't, like, how many, like, a chance of decrease. Oh, decrease right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on A&E. Uh, no, no, no. I've seen, okay, I've heard about that. Yeah. I've never it's watched really it. It's really morbid. The First 48 Hours After a Crime. That's when yeah. you're most likely to catch the person. Right, okay. So they follow the detectives in two different cities. 48 hours on, right, okay. and they just have a, cl a clock ticking. Okay. So I say that just because that I'm surmising, and I, you know, this, I'm playing police detective. Your deductive here. abilities. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking that she was a soccer coach, and they went into a car, and the thing I'm fascinated with is that the teacher was sleeping over at the uh, girl's house. I mean, if I'm the parents, it's, oh, you got a friend over. Who is it? Uh, that's Mrs. Cohn. She's my soccer teacher. She's 50. Yeah. How old is the uh, teacher? Uh, 30. She's okay, 30. does she Did look you see 30? That picture of her too. Does she, look, who <laughs> does she look younger? It's a mug shot. I, I don't. I, I mean, you don't does look, she have crossed eyes? You can't really tell. Sweet. I, I here. You could. I, I can't tell. I mean, does that is that a, is it? I have to see a picture of the teacher. Could she? Could she? Could she pass for younger? She. Who's this? Uh, Janice from homeroom. <laughs> wow. Um. There's no hmm. polite way to say that. <laughs> There's no polite way to say that uh, she looks like uh, Richie with a wig. Uh, that's just, uh, there's no way Crossing to get around that. This, this looks like a less attractive, our, uh, PA Richie is, uh, he's a, a cross-dresser. Uh, he has the, he does a drag, uh, thing every now and again. And so, this looks like, uh, Richie's, uh, uh feminine persona, uh, Rochelle, Rochelle, but like on a bad day. I'll have to, I'll find a picture and, of Rochelle for Ron. maybe with a limited budget for makeup and accessories. Does he do that? Just, I mean, that's... It's, it's what he's into. It's his thing. Oh. Everybody, you, you know, have, some guys golf. <laughs> and that's the guy who was in here earlier who I... Uh, Richie Bristol, yeah. his uh, computer. A, a stout Asian man. Oh, yeah. Less stout now. Yes. Uh, he's yeah. A, yes. so, uh, Straight, bloody cross-dresser. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, there you go. Let's see. Is there anything... Uh, According to the criminal complaint, details. I'm trying to figure out the sleepover thing. Like you, uh, the girl's parents, 
Ah, uh, here we go. The girl's parents told authorities they believed she had slept on the floor of their daughter's bedroom. Well, they hoped. But were unaware of sexual activity. Well, that's just weird. I mean, why would you even allow that, like, in any event? Well, I, did she sneak her through the window? No, I guess the parents were aware of it, but thought that it was all very platonic. Oh, that that they were going into the bedroom together and yeah. they were closing the door and it the was parents said they, The parents said they were aware of the sleepover, but thought the teacher slept on the floor. Oh. And, you know, so I guess maybe they thought she was like... Well, that teacher has taken such an interest in you. It's good to see them caring. Right, yeah. Maybe she's one of those super teachers, like in uh, South Central. All right. Hey, Mom and Dad, I got, I'm having trouble with algebra, so uh, the teacher's just going to spend the night. She's, uh... Ah, uh, never mind. Here he is. Do you want to see him in drag? Never mind. Oh. That's... Okay. Uh, <laughs> what's he doing? Is that a... What is that? That's, that's, Richie, that's Richie Bristol as Rochelle. Is that a... Uh... Is that, is that a bar mitzvah? What is uh, that? That was his uh, big unveiling a few weeks ago. They did a, uh, um, a holiday shindig. He's singing in front of his band, uh, Pleasure Vessel. Hmm. Kind of like uh, the uh, the guy from uh, Wedding Singer. I mean, doesn't look like it, but that, remember uh, the Culture Club? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, he's uh, Richie was actually was actually quite a night. So. Oh, good. All right. Were you making an algebra joke about the teacher sex? No, no, no. That was just a teacher sex joke. Uh, okay. I, algebra was just completely. Uh, uh, never mind. I was all right. She's going to see how many times 30 can go into 16. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. There you go. Want to make sure I wasn't uh, repeating any comedic uh, stylings there. That's hilarious. That's what I did. There's your uh, teacher watch. With the news, Ron Pivo. All righty, good. Uh, let's do a uh, Joy of Christmas watch then. Uh, here's uh, Rick Emerson's Joy of Christmas for Monday, the 29th of December. We've only got like uh, three days of this before we have to be done. So we always uh, we started the day after uh, Thanksgiving and then we ended on uh, January 1st. So we're going to... You know, try to get all of these uh, stories out before the next three days are up. Here's uh, Ron people. This is out of uh, Helena, Montana. A Helena man uh, is in jail after he allegedly stabbed his friend in the eye during a brawl on Christmas Eve. Jonathan Presley, 33, faces a felony charge of assault with a weapon for the attack, according to Helena Police Chief Troy McGee. The victim suffered a wound from a paring knife above his eye, refused treatment at the scene. Uh, Presley allegedly punched the man in the face multiple times, breaking a tooth. Um, yeah, he did not, uh, did he say, yeah, he didn't want to press charges, right? Does it say, now, do they explicate the sort of reason for the argument? Uh, no. Or is it just one of those things where you stab a guy? It was just a couple guys just horsing around and things got out of hand and he just stabbed him. So it was sort of a, uh, maybe they were arguing over like who got to open the final advent calendar, uh, you know, like who got to take out the final piece of chocolate or something. Well, my question is he refused treatment at the scene, but... There, it's in the paper, and there was a police report. Right, right. So well, he was stabbed in the eye and refused yeah. treatment? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's his eyeball just hanging. I'm good. I'll just put it back. Just pop this back in. Yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time. It's like, it's like getting your arm back in the socket. Yeah, just uh, a little pop. Hold on. Uh, there we go. I'm That's good. That's great. No, everything's a little... Wait. Oh, yeah, there you go. I hadn't really thought about that. Stabbed in the eye but refusing treatment. Right. That doesn't make any sense now that I think about it. Yeah, because obviously the police were called, so it was serious enough. You where... really have underscored the essential uh, mystery of this article, Ron Pivo. <laughs> Just for yeah, for four paragraphs, there's so much more to this story. Maybe it was. I mean, maybe it was the same. Maybe like he'd been stabbed there before. Like maybe the eye had already. Like maybe the eye was a bit of a wash to begin with. 
And, and, and a paring knife, what, uh, what do you use that for? Well, that is, well, that is for, uh, that is for cutting fruit, I believe. Is it? I believe. Well, it's yeah, not, that's when, like, not just because it rhymes with, pe- it sounds like pear, but I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it is a small knife that is typically used for peeling. Uh, like if you're going to use it to peel apples or potatoes or something. Because usually when two guys are fighting, uh, they don't grab, you know, it's not, it's usually a, a you know, like a big knife. Yeah, a, big, a pocket knife. Well, maybe this was the warning knife. You know what I mean? <laughs> like maybe this is sort of the, you know. So the, they were peeling fruit. Or, or and something. it got out of hand. I, I, you know, the paring knife actually is yet another wrinkle to this equation that doesn't make any sense. Because you're right. Typically when guys are going to do that, they go right for the largest knife they can possibly find. Yeah. So this sort of makes it sound like one of them was getting ready to, I don't know, like he was preparing a crudité or something. And, <laughs> you know, don't make me come over there. All right, well, whatever. Do we have uh, additional Joy of Christmas, or is that it? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, we do. Um, this is a uh, man set fire to home after he didn't get a present. It's in uh, Theodore, uh, which is, uh, I don't know, maybe it's in Alabama. Uh, it's Montgomery. So. Are you just surmising from the context? Speaking <laughs> Alabama, right? Yeah, let's just, no, it is Alabama, actually. There's a article, here's an uh, advertisement for the AAA of Alabama. Uh, the mobile police uh, say a man apparently upset because he didn't get a Christmas present set fire to his mobile home. Uh, police Corporal Charles Bagsby Jr. said the trailer in Theodore went up in flames at around 2.30 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, they charge Edward Lee of Theodore with reckless endangerment and public intoxication. This seems like a bit of a spiting in your face kind of a thing. Yeah. And public intoxication. Well, you, you don't set fire to a mobile home sober, do you? And I was going to say, once your mobile home is burning, really public intoxication is your only choice. <laughs> what point are you proving by burning down your house? Yeah, I mean, and what are your options? I don't think you have any option to be privately intoxicated once you set fire to your home. <laughs> That's true. They're, They're just going to cancel each other out. It's sort of a fait accompli at that point. And it says uh, the man has given a couple different stories as to what happened. Uh, the last time we asked, talking about the last time the police asked, he said he fell asleep with a cigarette in his hand. Okay, but from whom was he expecting a present? Well, that's a good question. Is there Mrs. Trailer Burner? Uh, His sister-in-law said that he was depressed. He said that nobody loved him and that he was going home and set the house on fire with him inside of it. So I think he was... Good to see they stopped him. Yeah. Good to see that the family family health is job one around there. I'm going to go home and set my house on fire. Well... Put on your boots. I I think it was a, a veiled uh, suicide attempt. I don't think it's very veiled. Oh, I don't think veiled means what you think it means. Right. Uh, this sounds very much like an actual suicide attempt. Although, again, it is... But he ran out of the house, though. Well, that's true. Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's sort of a reconsidering at the last moment thing. It's interesting, though, that he announced this to the family whose response was like, sort of, walk safely, it's icy, you know, and then just kind of let him go. Yeah, he, uh, he had run into uh, the woods behind his home. And uh, he was also charged with uh, uh, possession of uh, drug paraphernalia and resisting arrest. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty well, much it. Now there you go. Wow. Right. Hey, by the way, so we should ask, so Sarah, what did you receive uh, for your uh, Christmas? Um, I don't know, just the gift of being able to spend time with my family. You didn't get anything, no, did you? No, I didn't you? really get a lot of stuff. Excellent. No, I, got, um, I actually got a copy. Well, they got you a car. Yeah, so. exactly. I got the, the hand-me-down car for my dad. Yeah. And the comedian got me um, The Watchmen, which I'm really excited. Yeah, Alan Moore's graphic that. novel, The Watchmen. Yeah. You know, little, like scarves and gloves and that kind of stuff. All right. It was so. just, it was, I'm, I was just so relieved to be able to get to Bremerton to see my sister. And my so that is kind of a, so the gift you received was not dying uh, by the side of the road in your in your Ford. Yeah, that was a little. Not scary. jackknifing off road into a ditch to freeze Dude, to death. I saw a semi uh, right after the accident happened. I think I pulled the story for you in Kelso. It it jackknifed.
sniped off of an overpass and landed on the um, underneath. Oh yeah, 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 and yeah. It I saw down that. The entire road. It was nuts, and the guy was still trapped inside of it, <laughs> and it was blocking the entire road. It was. Freaky looking. It's completely creepy. Uh, and, and so Ron Piva, so I don't know what sort of celebrations there are or not in the Pivo household, but were there uh, gifts given or received? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, well, I'm Jewish, and so my wife is, and so we kind of celebrate a little bit of both. So last night was the last night of Hanukkah, so me and my five kind and a half Christmas kind of a thing. Yeah, so we uh, we did that, and so uh, yeah, it was you know as we talked about earlier, it was a blessed event. The yeah. whole. 11 days of Snowfest <laughs> instead of Christmas Snowfest. And really the greatest gift, because now we can actually, I think we mentioned this in the year, you were actually supposed to be here last week. Yeah. Uh, I think it was last week. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Like I can't even really Monday. remember. Yeah. yeah. So. It was the beginning of yeah. Armageddon. And you yeah. got stuck in your driveway, right? Yeah. It was the beginning of what Dave Schmidt called Snowgasm 08. Uh, so, and yeah, we got to see him like, sorry, I won't, I'm stuck in my, I can't get out of the driveway. Yeah. So. It was, um, yeah, I live up in the hills a little bit and it's kind of shady and so, uh, and not shady in a bad way, but shady mm. as in trees. Uh, well, maybe shady in a bad way too. We have some neighbors. Uh-huh. Actually, you know what happened? The Sunday, the storm really happened on Sunday. It was about 11 o'clock at night and I'm sitting downstairs and all of a sudden I hear this big thud. Big thud. And uh, I go upstairs, and I thought a tree had fallen in the house. Well, our neighbor forgot or didn't set his parking brake, and he had just gotten home. (laughs) And so the the warm tires combined with the ice made his truck slide down, plowed right into our fence. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. So... Uh, we should take a break here. We'll take a break. Get caught up. Come back after this. Uh, Ron Pivo is here. Still to come in the next hour, we'll do the top five. Uh, my top five songs released in 2008. Uh, let's see. What else? Well, we have some other crap to get to. Uh, as well as much news with Ron Pivo filling in for the late off Tim Riley. Stay there. Back after this. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. Did you ever write something down like a note to yourself and then you can't figure out what it means? I wrote down Clog Day. <laughs> C-L-O-G space D-A-Y. I wrote it down Tuesday, December 23rd at 12.52 a.m. if that's any help. Clog Day. Ron Pivo? Uh, uh, late of KGW and KPTV, what does clog day mean, and why did I write it down? I think it's a day where you're supposed to wear your clogs, which are uh, German wooden shoes. Are you bluffing? I mean, not about the fact that they're shoes, but, I mean, is there a clog day? Uh, what, day what, what day was that? I wrote this down December, December 23rd at 12.52 in the morning. Well, I know the 26th is Boxing Day, so yes. I don't think Boxing Day would be that close to clog day. I thought clogs were Dutch. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, why would I? I, I uh, or no, maybe I'm thinking of wooden shoes. Are they the same thing? I think so. That, in my mind, yes. Clogs are the wooden shoes that. Uh, you really don't know. You're just making a sort of a broad. Do you remember uh, in uh, European vacation, Chevy Chase did the dancing in the wooden shoes. Please tell me that you're basing. Uh, please tell me you're basing some sort of understanding of ethnic rituals on a Chevy Chase movie. My knowledge of clogs. Well go, done. Go as far as uh, the the. Dancing that he did in that. That's movie. right. You know, Sarah and I one time went a whole show thinking Siamese twins could be joined at the hair. Mm. So, 
Was that your little one-syllable response is the best thing ever? I don't know why I wrote this down. Clog day. And it's, in, and it's in quotes. Are you sure you're reading your handwriting it's, no, it's, no, it's printed out. It's typewriting. It's, uh, I, I emailed it to myself. I was going to say, if it was handwritten, the C and the L could form a no. D. No, I got nothing. Oh, dog day. No, I have dog a, day. No, I don't know what that's all about. Dog day. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to get to? I have some other notes to get to. Uh, let's see if I have any uh, brief notes that I can that I can get to before we continue with the news. Uh, still coming up today, by the way, we'll do the top five. Uh, top five uh, songs released in 2008, in the opinion of me, Rick Emerson. Oh, here's just a little final observation. I was at that mall downtown, because usually I go to Lloyd Center, because that's the one closest to my house, and plus it's an exciting slice of Portland life to observe. Uh, whole different kind of pregnant teenager there. But uh, I was at that mall downtown for reasons that we can discuss. I don't know, maybe tomorrow. I don't know if we have time to do it today. But, um, but I was supposed to meet a guy down there. I was supposed to meet a friend of mine down there this last uh, last week, I think last Tuesday or something or other. And first of all, as I often say, it's that thing when you go to that, the Pioneer Pioneer Square, Pioneer Courthouse Square, whatever it's called, that mall, it, where it's in four different buildings, and no matter, no matter what store I need to go to, I always pick the wrong building. I mean, it seems like the, the law of averages would dictate that like a quarter of the time I'd pick the right, but no, it's like I always end up, I always end up like by that Things Remembered Silver store or something, or by like the Fossil Watch Place, and it's like, and meanwhile, I'm looking at the map going, where the, where the F is the gap, you know, and I can never figure out where the hell I'm supposed you to go. The gap. I'm using it as an example. Okay. Anyway, you have a different default. You talk about the Gap too much. I'm just look. I'm wearing Gap jeans today, and I would say they fit. And a Gap me, shirt. They fit me splendidly. Uh, this shirt is not from the Gap. Thank you very much. A little Miss Snarks a lot. Uh, this is the this shirt is from somewhere else. Um, <laughs> this is from Metro, I believe. Uh, so uh, let's see. And I can't talk too much more about this because then I just start to sound all. I start to sound a little Metro myself. Uh, so I wrote this down. This is from last uh, week, so I went down to that mall, uh, it was like Wednesday afternoon, and then at one point I stopped by the, uh, I'm not going to be cooler than I am, stopped by the Starbucks, uh, also because they got that coffee cake there that's like 700 calories, so, you know, and I'm unashamed, I don't, I don't give an F. Um, so I go to the Starbucks, and then at one point I duck out to use the restroom, and it's where that Starbucks, unlike most, doesn't have its own restroom, you got to go to the, uh, you know, the one around the corner. I get ready to go into the men's room at that mall downtown. I made a note to myself, as I'm getting ready, this is at 7.24 p.m., here's something you don't want to see. Guy going into men's room with emergency fluid cleanup kit. <laughs> I have no idea why. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was cleaning up. And here's why I don't know. Because when you see that guy going into the bathroom ahead of you with the emergency fluid cleanup kit, that's the universe's way of saying... Either wait half an hour or just hold it till you get home, friend. So I did the latter. I waited and I uh, relieved myself back at uh, Shea Emerson. Do you? Let me ask you, Rick. Do you? You have any kids? I do not. Okay. Uh, I have a five and a half year old daughter, and I've probably hit every public restroom there is in Portland. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you, I I absolutely loathe public restrooms. Uh, I mean. And, and now, what is the? I don't mean to, to sound awkward. What is the? How old? If I can ask, how old is your daughter? Five and a half. Five and a half. You said. So, what is the protocol on that? She. I mean, the, do you take her into the men's room or you go to the unisex or how does that good work? Good question. <laughs> good, good. That is a good question because I it's something. Know. I don't know it's something I struggle with on on a daily basis. And uh, up until she was about uh, five, it was men only. Now, she's gotten to the point where, you know, things are just kind of awkward in a men's room, and I just stand outside the women's uh, restroom, ah. and she goes by herself. And she's now. old enough. I remember to... my dad used to do that. Really yeah. And she's old enough. She can kind of get everything handled by herself. I don't know what age that happens at or whatever. But, yeah. uh, so, but, so she's good. Okay. But uh, when I did have to take her in, and it was just, 
I mean, public restrooms are just—they're—they're they're just awful. They're vile. They really are. They're vile. Um, you know, there's a sign usually on the on the door that says, "Oh, we service this," and it has all uh-huh. these check. No, you don't. And there's that thing: must wash hands. You yeah. know, and like you know that no one does. Yeah. I mean, the employees, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's like you—you you, that's another sign in a bathroom. Always at a restaurant. That's a sign that that—that's a lie. Uh, you know, all employees must wash hands before. And you take a good long look sometimes at a restaurant, and you look at the guy, and you realize that's a guy that doesn't wash his hands here or at home or probably ever. I love the signs with the big um, plate of spaghetti with the happy washed hands. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. And it actually there's a there's a state that says you must wash. It's a state law, right? That you have to. do. <laughs> Mesa los manos. Could you imagine the, the 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 debate in the state legislature when that thing came up? Well, and also this. You go to a restaurant sometimes, and especially if it's some like a downscale eatery, where not only is there the employees must wash hands sign, but then there's like not like there isn't the blowy thing. There's just that big roll of towel. Oh, those are gross. Oh, those yeah. And I, I mean, don't it's like, like I don't touch those. See, and that's the thing is like, look, as you just said, Ron Pivo, uh, uh, I know that there are laws regulating hygiene. So on some base level. Those things have got to be clean. They've got to be hygienic on some level because the law must mandate it. But I'm like you, that I don't care. I, I, it just, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that they're clean. I just can't. I cannot believe so that. One of my father's places is always all, all the way pulled out. Oh, God, and you pull it? on the ground. No, oh, God, did you ever do this? Jesus, have you ever done this where you're in, you're in a, a public bathroom and you wash your hands and you, and you always notice afterward. It's like how you always notice there's no toilet paper when it's too late. But you wash your hands. You're like, oh, I'm going to dry my hands now. Ah, crap. And you see that it's the roll of towel. And I'll say, well, <laughs> pardon me. I'll say, um, um, all right. Well, I okay, these jeans are really light colored. If I, wash, if I wipe my hands on my jeans, it's going to look like I uh, peed myself. That's not going to work. I guess we'll just use this. And so you reach up and you grab the roll of towel with your hand. Yeah. And you're going to pull it down, and it goes, and it doesn't move. And that's when you go, oh, God, I'm at the end of the roll. 500 other guys have done this same thing before me where they reached with their grubby, like, you know, like urine-covered hands. Oh, God, I've, not, I've got the urine of 100 men on me. You know, and then it's like, you know. Somebody please excerpt that now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then it's like, but then... Then you've got nothing. And then the thoughts, if you're like me, and I'm not like a clean freak. Like, I'm not a wash my hands a hundred times a day. But you're OCD when it comes to, like, keeping things neat. But, I'm, yeah, I'm, but I'm very, very, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of OCD and I'm very tidy about things. And also i got a very active imagination. So I will reach up, grab the roll of towel. It won't move. And I go, oh, God, you know, now I've got all of the germs of every pair of hands that's been touching this since God knows when it stopped advancing, right? So I'm like, okay, i got to wash my hands. But then the thoughts start piling up in your head like that's when you start being conscious of, okay, how many hands have touched these faucet taps and the soap dispenser? And then you're like Sam Kinison talked about, like, trying to do everything with your foot, you know, open the door, flush the toilet. When there's a handle and you have to twist the handle after you've washed your hands knowing full well that, like, 70% of the people don't wash their hands. Exactly. Okay, can I just go ahead? I'll just say that this is the way you handle that. So to speak. Yeah, is that the the, the towel or, you know, whatever you dried your hands with, you walk on over to that door handle, use that, boom, prop the door open with your foot, and then you throw the towel away. But what if it's attached to the wall like one of the rolly towels? That's what I'm saying. Where's your Where's your God where's now, Rob? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Rolly towel is that. That's what, here's what you do on that one: is you wait for somebody to come into the bathroom, and then all of a sudden you just use your foot or your back, and you just go out when out they're for like coming in. Fifteen twenty minutes. Until Larry like, Craig you, style. You do what you got to do, 
Well, well, that is true. Uh-huh. I mean, because then if you if you you know have the handle and you touch it, then you got to go back to wash your hands, and it, it becomes a vicious cycle. No, but we can thank the handicap for this though. That because of the handicap, normally that those those round doorknobs are becoming a thing of the past. It usually is the uh, you know what I mean, like the 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 sort of the handle. I, yeah, the handle that it's you know it's basically hook shaped. You know the handle, so yeah. you can you, so if you don't have like you know if you don't have a hand or something, you can you know use it. Like if you if you do have like a prosthetic, you can get it open. So that means you can open it with your foot. Uh, which I do a lot also because sometimes I'll have, like, my hands, like, if I'm going down a hallway, like, not out of the bathroom, but, like, going down the office hall and you've got a bunch of stuff in your hands, I can open it with my foot. But, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a thing, and then, and then it just sort of freaks you out. So, anyway, well, and I forget why I even started this. Oh, guy going into bathroom with emergency fluid cleanup kit. That's yeah, no good. No good. Oh, and, but there's okay. Final note on that, though. So I'm flying back uh, from Utah yesterday. I'm getting on the plane. And I fly, and uh, you know, and I mean, I, I want to sit and do a whole thing about airport and airplane stuff because then it's like I'm every bad comedian. But I mean, but, but I will say this: uh, it's I was on a small plane coming back, big plane going there, small plane coming back, two rows of seats only, and you know, so two on each side, and so there's you know two seats, aisle, two seats. So I have to get up at some point to use the bathroom. And fortunately, the guy in front of me had the same idea. So I wasn't having to like, pardon me, uh, do you want ass or crotch as I go by here? Hold on, there you go. Ass it is. Okay. But he had already gotten up and he was back there. So, but then it's only, there's only one bathroom on the plane and then there's the awkward queue as we're sort of toward the like, so what are you waiting here for? Bathroom, huh? Yeah, me too. And something. And so we're all kind of waiting and then going to the bathroom one at a time. And so finally it's in my time. I go in you know, the bathroom, whatever, you, you do your business. And then no water. The bathroom has no water on the airplane. No airplane. And, of course, an airplane bathroom, you got to figure, is kind of disgusting anyway. Fortunately, it was. I discovered that there was no water in the sink before I put on the hand soap. Because they had that liquid hand soap. What if I had put on the liquid hand soap and then no water in the bathroom sink? Then you just got weird hand soap all over your hands. And then what are you going to do with that? Wipe it on the towels, but then your hands are so sticky and goo-covered, then you can't touch anything. Well, you could have rubbed it on your pants, and that would have... Uh... That would have been awkward. Yeah. So, but then, that, that then prompted the question, you know, why do they even have at this point? And I really do wonder this. Why do they even have liquid hand soap? Why doesn't every place just have that liquid hand sanitizer? Doesn't that seem like the way they ought to go well, everywhere? That would certainly put the hand soap people out of business. I'm okay with that. And I think they've got a very strong lobby. I'm fine with that. I uh, I think the freaky OCD people have their own kind of lobby, and it's uh, you know, and it's in this room. And so I think we ought to be uh, catered to a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do a couple here, and we'll take a break and come back with the top well, five. You know what I've got? I've got a top five or six of uh, the, the box office from the weekend. Excellent. Right. It was Fantastic. A, it was a huge uh, Christmas uh, weekend. Uh, I know a lot of people couldn't get out of the house, but when they did, they hit the movie theaters. The number one uh, movie this weekend uh, was Marley and Me. That's the uh, Owen Wilson, Jennifer Aniston uh, movie. Uh, did 51.6 Wait a minute, is it the dog movie? Yes. I didn't know what? Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston were in it. Yeah, and I uh, know somebody who saw it and they said it wasn't that bad, but it was I really had, depressing. Well, the dog dies in the end. Yeah, of course. I mean, and I'm fine it's saying turner, that, by the, the way. It's the turner and hoochifying of dog movies. I was going to say, I don't care. I don't, you call up and scream spoiler at me all you want. First of all, it's based on a book that's been out for like 10 years, so get over it. And secondly, the dog always dies. Why does the, the dog end. always have to die? I am legend. That's like, what I'm saying. The anything. dog always dies. Unless it's like a flat-out wacky comedy. The dog always dies in the end. I still can't watch Turner and Hooch without crying. No, I mean, that's the thing, right? That's that's why I have no problem spoiling it for everybody, because it's a... It, 
Look, here's the thing. Because even in the previews for I Am Legend, you, you can tell that the dog died. Yeah, I mean, we're all, and we're, here's the thing, you don't know, on the show, we're all dog people here. And uh, so, and I don't know if you have uh, if you have dogs or? Uh, cats. No, cats. So, really? Cats? Who? Your choice or your wife's? Uh, it was pretty much my wife's. But they're fine. Pretty much. They're it fine. was, all right, they're well. They're fine. I can tell a little grudging uh, tolerance look, of cats in my look, cats, cats are just there. You know, dogs, you have to take a more active, uh. Dogs are your pals. Yeah, but you got, there's so much more work. Cats, it's, you know, they're just around. They're part, they're like furniture. Where dogs, you have to actively take them out for walks and do this and that. So yeah. cats, it's just, you know. You can leave them there for a while. Well, so we're all dog people here. So I, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't want to say it. But, but the reason I, the reason I say it and spoil it is because, as Sarah said, I think that's a spoiler you want to know. Mm-hmm. My conscience is clear, telling you, Marley, me that the dog, the dog snuffs it in the end. Uh, my conscience is absolutely clear because that's a thing you don't want to be blindsided by. Because I got to tell you, I mean, for a certain kind of person, and I'm firmly, and I, you know what, and I'm willing to acknowledge, I don't have kids, not going to have kids. So I recognize that my whole dog thing is more. Probably more, more, uh, you know, it's to a deeper level or more intense or whatever than you know somebody else. Because Bruce Springsteen said this thing about he said, you know, once you have kids, you realize your dog is just a dog, which I'm sure is true. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to compare dogs to kids, but I'm saying I don't have kids, so you know what, the, the dog totally. I I have all the weird guy dog stuff, you know, where I'm like really into the dogs and whatever. So that's a spoiler you want to know because otherwise you're like, hey, let's go see it. God forbid you're taking your kids to go see it. Hey, kids. Let's, oh, my God, did you take your kids to see it? Last night. Why didn't you volunteer that? Oh, well, Ron Pivo. I, 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 I did. First of all, the previews looked cute and funny. Oh, God. Ron. I, I was not if aware. you would ask me. I was not aware of the tragic ending of Marley and so Me. So the dog dies at the end, too? Well, he doesn't die at the beginning. Or else maybe he died, like, midway, and then they dealt with it together. And Is it like a memento <laughs> thing where it starts with a dog being hit by a garbage yeah. truck? the dog at the end. How's the dog die? This is this is Marley, and then it's Marley being hit by a falling safe, and then the rest of the movie is just all the way back to puppydom. I'm dealing with Marley. <laughs> the morning. I don't believe his lies. The morning period lasts an hour and forty-five minutes. Uh, no, he yeah, it's just natural. Basically, it's a story about this writer and his relationship with his dog, and it takes you through about ten or fifteen years of the guy's life, just long enough to care about the dog. Oh man! Then they kill it. Yeah, and then it dies. You, I mean, you know what? It was very sad. I don't. I of could, course, I could watch it, that because yeah. it's because it's like I'm not saying that people don't cry for their dog. They clearly they do. But I'm saying cinematically, it's like the cheapest device. Cinematically speaking, in terms of movies, you kill off a dog. That is the cheapest plot device. It is the cheapest way to get an audience to cry. It is just such a. It's just such an underhanded, sneaky move. And my other thing is, again, I say I say it with a clear conscience, uh, spoiling that, because that's a thing you really want to know. Because if you're blindsided by that, as you were, I mean, I hate to ask this, it's none of my business. Were your kids traumatized? Well, my daughter, um, she fell asleep at a certain part of it. But here's the thing. is, Where did the dog go? On vacation. Honey. Yeah. No, you know what she thought? As they were euthanizing the dog. Oh, God. Yeah. They, she actually thought that they were giving him blood. Or taking Did blood. you let her believe that? No, no, because see what happened is about a year ago we had a cat that died suddenly. Oh, it was a okay. young cat, All and right. so she realized that you know, hey, they go to heaven too, sure. and you know this and that, and so you know she kind of understood it. She, yeah, five and a half. I don't know what you understand and what you don't, but, but she, she kind of gets it. She kind of yeah. gets the fact that yes, people do die, animals do die, just like you right, know people. Right. So. Um, 
But the thing that about you're the, euthanizing the dog, that's the worst phrase I've ever heard. So as they're euthanizing the dog. Well, I didn't use that word on her. No, no, no. But I mean, but the, the idea that that's, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. So, I mean. Yeah, because wow. the dog got old and, uh, you know, his something happened where he wasn't moving as right. fast as he used to. And they kind of said, well, you know, his stomach turned and he had this and that. Sure. We might be able to. And then he lasted for a little while longer. But it was very, very sad because hmm. he had three kids and they buried the dog in the front yard. And all the kids are writing notes to the dog. Oh, I'm for the love of God. I yeah. never watch that. And you know what? Merry Christmas. And then, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. There isn't like uh, afterwards where, you know, oh, they got a Let's new... Let's all go for Coco. They got a new puppy and they named it Marley Jr. It's the end. And so you're, you're walking out of the movie theater <laughs> and you're just... Just you know, a feeling of black inside. Yeah. Jesus. That, that was pretty much the end. So again, back to like old Yeller, which scarred a generation. Why do they do this to children, by the way? Why do they get... It's like where the red fern grows. I'm reading where the red fern. What kind of cruel freaking teacher? We're gonna read Old Yeller, and then a day no pigs would die, and then of mice and men, then where the red fern grows, and it's just like endless animal. Death. Then Charlotte's Web, and it's just endless animal death. So again, I I have no problem spoiling that movie because that's the last thing anybody needs, especially freaking Christmas. I mean, you know, it's the holidays, you're trying to be happy, you're celebrating, you know, whatever. Yule, you're celebrating Isaac Newton's birthday with your family. Uh, what should we see for our solstice film? Let's see a cheer. Oh, look, this one's got a dog. And it's in a little bow. Let's take all of our youths to see it. Yeah. And then at the end, they're snuffing the dog. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, the hell with that. And how about all the kids who had gotten puppies for, for Christmas? Oh, my God, I hadn't even thought about that. Hell, yeah. You're an evil person, Ronnie. <laughs> So, you know, for the first, Sarah and I were talking about this in the hallway, I don't mind saying. For the first hour and a half of the show, you seemed really normal and well composed, and now the real person comes out. You're just way. as warped as we are. This last hour and a half has shown it. And I like it, by the way. Good. I hadn't even thought about that. Mommy and Daddy got you a puppy. Now let's go see a movie about a puppy that dies. <laughs> Jesus. So, Mom and Dad, is my puppy going to die just like Marley died? Oh, man. I mean, how do you explain that one? Wow, I think you explain it by giving the kid some NyQuil and whacking it on the head really firmly so it forgets. You, the kid is better off that way. So, God. So that was number one at the box office over well, the weekend. Well, why not? Yeah. Jesus. Uh, and number two was, uh, I just wrote down uh, Benjamin Button. What's it called? The Amazing? Oh, I, see, no, 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 that's the thing. See, I was in, stuck in Provo all week, the weekend, so I never, ever got to see it. The Mysterious Case of Benjamin Button, yeah. which I am yeah. absolutely seeing this week. Uh, that is the new David Fincher film, which looks to be unbelievably good. It, the, the word is that it's just the best, the best film of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those two movies set all-time records for Christmas. So they were one and two. And then there was uh, Bedtime Stories, the movie with Adam Sandler. No, I'll never, I'll never see that. I saw that one. Really? Yeah, well, you have kids. Th- I have one. Yeah. Well, you have a kid. Yeah, I, you kept saying plural. I'm, I'm looking around. At, uh, I'm sorry. I guess I sort of assumed that kids just come in packages of like five. No, this one came in a package of one. <laughs> okay. It was just a, just a one. Uh, but we saw it, and you know, it was, uh, i tell you what, Adam Sandler is wacky. He really, really is. He is uh, indeed wacky. I mean, I don't know if he wrote this, or I mean, I know his company did it, but he is just, uh, it's not just like a story about kids, and then they... Uh, he tells a bedtime story, they finish the story, and it comes to life. I mean, the stories that he thought, it's just really strange stuff. Um, you remember in Billy Madison where they had that really strange clown? Totally. Oh, it's just... So anyway, that, and that was very, very entertaining. If I were to say 
Hey, are you going to see Bedtime Stories tonight or Marley and me? I definitely tell people to see Bedtime Stories. Yes. It was, it was very entertaining. Because at the end, they don't they don't get a lovable horse and shoot it in the head. Right. Jeez. All right. We get, I think we got to take a break here. So let's quickly run down the uh, the other... Uh... Okay. Number four uh, box office was uh, Valkyrie, the one right. with uh, Brad Pitt. Number five was uh, Jim Carrey's Yes Man. Didn't do well at all. Uh, and there's a story actually there I was reading that uh, he had a really strange uh, money deal on this where he didn't take any upfront money. He took all the box office he, points. Well, he took the back end is Lose. what they're saying. So they're just saying that it was just the worst movie deal. Even uh, I would seen. have known not to do that for right. Jim Carrey, and but, I'm, I'm I'm an idiot. They say that uh, he usually gets about twenty million, then gets twenty percent. This one he did, took nothing upfront. Yeah, that's made out of fail right there. So and then uh, number six was Seven Pounds with uh, Will Smith. So you know yeah. you figure Jim Carrey and uh, Will Smith were going to do uh, great at the box office. So the they, headline for me with this the head line for this would be uh, six is it seven and America says no to yes zing back after this it's the Rick Emerson program don't go anywhere know it's the actual Bob Dylan who responded to your Facebook. I'm pretty sure it's him. <laughs> I've never heard someone sound more offended than we asked if it was really him. I mean, I don't mean to sound skeptical, but I mean, well, doesn't don't the odds seem long of it being the actual Bob Dylan? The picture is right here. Okay. And I, I would, I, I, I have not gotten an email back from him. Uh, I mean, he confirmed me. I'm, we're confirmed. Really didn't say that? Did it say Bob Dylan is now your friend yeah. or something like that? Yeah, I sent him a message. I, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't respond to the question. How did you find this Bob Dylan? A friend uh, of mine got to be, my, my friend uh, sent him, you know, hey, I'm friends with Bob. You could be friends with Bob Dylan, too. So we're all friends with Bob Dylan. Yes, I think someone's uh, <laughs> fooled you, Ron <laughs> right. I I'll see if he ever responds to my uh to my questions. I mean, it's not like a laundry list of questions, but... How many questions? Did you, what, what was the sample question? I, all I said, listen, I just I didn't want to ask something like a, a typical fan or anything. I go, hey, it's been snowing here in Portland for uh, for a few days now. Is it snowing where you are? <laughs> no. What would you recommend? Do you, Would you recommend any good movies or uh, any good music for a snowy day in Portland? Are you... Are you kidding? Did you really? You're, you're making this up, right? You wasted your one question on Bob Dylan asking him if he if there's a well, movie he could recommend. Well, it was a question that I thought would lead to more questions and an ongoing like who like who are yeah, you? The magical conversation you've had in your mind with him. Well, is it exactly how you imagined it going. Look, the chances of him answering, a, "Hey, what's your favorite song?" or "What's how's Jacob?" and all this. I, I yeah, be sure to ask him that. Ask him how Jacob is. <laughs> His estranged son. Yes. Yeah, how is he? to get rid of his fake last Oh, I didn't know they had that type of relationship. Oh, no, they, uh, you know. No, Jacob Dylan is such an ass, and he's always like, oh, I don't want to glom onto my father's fame, although his real last name isn't Dylan, yet he took his father's last name for no apparent reason. He should be Zimmerman. That's what what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Well, in any event. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's your top five Five, for Monday. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Hey, Bob Dylan. 
Would you hit on an ace king suited? Let me know. Okay, thanks. Bye. Your, your friend Ron. <laughs> You're even cooler than we thought, Ron Pivo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is Ron Pivo with today's top five. Uh, and as uh, 2008 draws to a close, we take a look back over our musical shoulder to examine those melodic rarities that were unleashed upon the world. As always, the, the, is that chafe? Chaff. Chaff outnumbers the wheat. Uh, but as with every calendar year, there are many musical moments to celebrate. These are Rick Emerson's top five songs released in 2008. So these are the, uh, and the only rule here is, and uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, filling in for the late off Tim Riley, Jamie Cooley. Uh, so Jamie Place Cooley. 94.7 Alternative Portland, it's different here. Exactly. It's different, and by different we mean... Uh, look, you have to leave now. Uh, so, uh, Jamie Cooley will be joining us tomorrow. She'll be counting down her top five songs released in 2008. And then Wednesday, Sarah. Sarah Dillon's top five songs from 2008. I already have them all. The second you told me that, I already have them all in my head. Excellent. I just need to put them in order. Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the only rule for these uh, songs, by the way, they can be from any genre, local, uh, you know, uh, national act, doesn't matter, as long as they were released in 2008. So, uh, without further ado... Long people. Okay, we're going to start with the uh, honorable mention, and that's the Gutter Twins, The Stations. Uh, this is um, the Gutter Twins are a band from Seattle. Uh, this album is called Saturnalia. The Gutter Twins are Mark Lanigan, who was in the Screaming tw- uh, Trees, and then some other guy. This is one of the best albums. It's one of the most amazing albums I've heard in a long time. It's, this is an album that my wife has actually pointed out that I, the other day, I had it on repeat and I just listened to it for, I don't know, about six hours, where it was just on loop over and over and over. Here's the great thing about this record, and I'm not going to pretend that everybody knows about this band, but it's, you really ought to check them out. They're called The Gutter Twins. The album is Saturnalia. Here's the great thing about this record. Sarah, you were just saying you love post-apocalyptic films. You're in the mood for one right now. Yes. So on this album, Saturnalia, every single track on this album sounds like it is the track that plays just as the world like goes up in flames. Okay. And, you know, a lot of times albums will have the sort of apocalyptic, climactic final track. You know, the track that is big, the big dramatic statement. Every song on this album, Saturnalia, is the apocalyptic final track. Most of them actually mentioning the rapture by name. I think right here, this is a great little piece of the chorus here before we go on. Again, this band is called The Gutter Twins. Just exceptional. This is beautiful. Just, it's just amazing. So if you get a chance, really uh, do try to pick this up. They're called The Gutter Twins. The album is Saturnalia. Really, it's just one of the best things put out all year. All right, these are the top five songs from 2008. Okay, number five, ACDC, War Machine. This is from the album Black Ice. Came out, what, about two months ago? ACDC. Keep in mind, these guys are 60 years old. The lead singer is 61. They don't have to fake it. 
And you don't have to adjust your standards to know that this is great. He's re- Brian Johnson's that old? 61 oh, this year. Yeah. Here's the, the amazing thing about ACDC that I learned a couple years ago is that when the, the first lead singer died. Uh, yeah, Bon Scott. Bon Scott. They got Brian Johnson. <laughs> Who would ever think that when you change lead singers of the band, that your first album will end up being one of the biggest selling albums of all time? It's funny. My wife isn't much of a rock fan, so I was actually... It's so funny you say that my wife and I were talking... I was talking to her, at her, about ACDC this weekend, because Back in Black was on and I was lecturing her. I'm like, everybody's written them off. Everybody thought they were done. And then they come up with Back in Black, which is their biggest album ever and one of the most successful rock albums ever recorded. I remember looking it up, and it sold, you know, 15, 17 million copies. And you're changing. That's like when they went from uh, Van Halen to Van Hagar or totally. whatever, Sammy Hagar. Or if, you know, Sammy Hagar left, and then they got that guy from Extreme. Completely. You know, and, and that album became not only one of their biggest, but one of the biggest of all time. And this is, you know, and the fact that it, that fact that at like 60 years of age, they're still able to like. I mean, that doesn't sound like a 61 year old. That's like that's like Motorhead uh, longevity there. And, and and when you watch him sing, the way oh, yeah. he sings, it's amazing. You just you think his vocal cords are going to pop out of his neck any moment. These are the top five songs released in 2008. You want to go to number four? Yes. Okay, number four. The All American Rejects gives you hell. This is, so this is off the new All American Rejects album. This is a really great song about a uh, a uh, girl who uh, you know didn't believe in him, didn't stick by him, and so now it's the kind of taunting. I'm a rock star, and you know you're not with me. It's kind of that skater boy kind of a thing. I love that song. Great line here. Just a great song, and just I mean, just the snarkiest of the lyrics. And I do love I love that kind of gimmick in songwriting. These are the guys that did that Dirty Little Secret song. This is a really, really great album. It's called When the World Comes Down. All right, counting down the top five songs released in 2008. Ron Pivo, what's our next song? Number three, Wednesday 13, No Rabbit in the Hat. It's a great song. I'm surprised you didn't put this higher. Oh, this is just, this is just such an amazing album. Um, so Wednesday 13 is kind of the horror punk guy. His new album, Skeletons, is a lot more metal. It's a lot less punk and a lot more metal than his previous albums. It's a lot nastier sounding. 
This is the song uh, from this album. It's called Skeletons by Wednesday 13. And this is the track that I found myself listening to over and over and over again. It's not nearly as pop as his previous records. They were kind of a candy-coated horror punk thing. It's a lot more metal feeling. Almost like a Rob Zombie album with all the electronic elements removed. Not enough songs that shout dead over and over again, Ron Pivo. You guys are making me feel old. I've never even heard of the band or the song. Well, you know, we try to educate as well as entertain, Okay. Rob. These are the top five songs from 2008. And we're off at uh, number two. This is Morgan Grace, a song called uh, Valentine. Oh. Portland, Oregon's own Morgan Grace. Nothing you would change about him. I mean, this and this is a demo. I don't even think this is like the finished album version. Wow. I think when women write about uh, just scathing me- messages to men, yeah, it always turns out pretty good. It really does. Um, like Lucinda Williams is one of my favorites, uh, and she just can write like you know. That's why you just never want to date a woman. I was like going to say you never piss off a songwriter. I mean, how about Alanis Morissette? Yeah, well, that's the perfect example, and you know, and uh, uh, Joni Mitchell did a lot of those. Dylan, of course, is the king of like the uh, you know the scorn as art form. So look at Carly Simon. Totally. She she had that thing for thirty years, the secret, and then she ended up selling the secret to you, so babe. No, I still want to know. These are the uh, some guy. You know, I always thought it was. Um, uh, I thought it was Warren Beatty. Yeah, I think everyone thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was Mick Jagger. Yeah, that's another possibility. And that's because he sings backup on that song, and I always thought that that was kind of little, her little private F you to him. Yeah. Hey, come sing on the song I wrote. Well, what, you heard what she did. She sold the secret. And right, she told at it, an and auction. Some, some big, uh, like the head of NBC or something like that bought it. And I think there was the promise that, okay, you could buy it for X amount of dollars. That goes to charity, but you can't reveal who right. it is. It's like... When are you going to reveal who it is? I mean, that's like a deep throat thing. I mean, you know, after she's dead. Yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. These are the top five songs released in 2008. Okay. This is uh, number one. I think it's the pride and joy of Kenosha, Wisconsin, right, Rick? Yes, indeed. It is Weezer, the greatest man who ever lived. And I have to pick up this song halfway through, unfortunately, because it's. it's, That is really not Weezer. Wow, that was awkward. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hold on a second. There we go. I have to pick this up because it's like a six-minute song. People who know this song know what I'm talking about here. This is about nine different songs put into one in about five and a half minutes. It is just the most unbelievable mix of styles. And there's parts that sound a lot like a typical Weezer song, where it's just the heavy guitars and just the real quick, fast, infectious pop melody. And there are parts of this that have a southern rap feel to it, almost like a kind of a dirty south rap. There are parts that sound like this Baroque chamber pop, like the Beastie Boys, uh, Beastie Boys, the Beast, Beach Boys, are almost like a, or like a Rufus Wainwright kind of a thing. It's just the most astounding mix of styles in about five and a half minutes. Um, I'll let it go here just till we get to this uh, vocal part, and then we'll take a break. Are we breaking after this? The show's over in two and a half minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, my watch says we have nine minutes. No, I My watch is wrong. Watch. Oh, well, never mind then. Well, I'll let this play. Okay, so we only got about a minute of this song left anyway. Somebody said, all the world is stage, and each of us is a player. That's what I've been trying to tell you. In Act 1, I was struggling to You mentioned uh, Rufus Wainwright. Yeah. Did you see the movie Knocked Up? No. Oh, you never saw I it? No, I ended up sitting at home. The very uh, ending, when they're driving home after the, they get the baby right. out, uh, there's a song by, I think it's Loudon Wainwright. Yeah. She's dead. Yeah, well, it's, it's the very last song. It's something about L.A. and that's me. I have to interrupt for a moment to, to point this out. My final thing about this, and I'll finish the story, is uh, this is uh, off the Red album. That was amazing. It's you have no idea. It's a six-minute song, and it goes for about yeah, it goes for about nine different styles in one song. And it's called the Greatest Man That Ever Lived. It's just an astounding song. It's like almost a mini sort of. It's like an operetta, almost. I'm sorry, Loudon Wainwright. Amazing song. I mean, these songs seriously. I feel really old because I've never even heard of. Three of these bands, and I and I and I like to. I'm not aficionado, but you I, like to uh, bring the rock. I, I, I do like music, and I never heard of them. But uh, Loudon Wainwright in the end, uh, end of Knocked Up, he has a song called Gray in L.A. I don't know if you could bring that up real quick, but it was uh, to me that was just when I heard that. There's some songs when you hear it, and you're just like amazing right there. I mean, without even listening to it twice, you're just like amazing right, song right. right there. And some of them never really get popular, right? You know, they're like they could be your personal favorites, but you know. Maybe they're not going to... But you sort of realize, like, if I could just get the whole world's attention for five yeah, minutes... Oh, world, over here, listen exactly. to this one song. It's, uh, it's... Well, so we're going to do that on Wednesday. Uh, Sarah will count down her top five songs uh, from 2008. And then Jamie Cooley, late of KNRK, will uh, be here tomorrow to do the same. Uh, Ron Pivo, real quickly, uh, the song that will play over the opening credits of the movie of your life. Um, I would say that is uh, my favorite artist of all time, Tom Petty. Uh, American Girl would be fine. All right. And by the way, this email says, since Ron has such connections with celebrities like Bob Dylan, maybe he can ask Bob Dylan something on my behalf. Can Bob Dylan recommend anything to get stubborn stains out of my grout? <laughs> Any answer would be appreciated. All right. 
Uh, I'll, I'll let you know when uh, he gets back to me. Ron Pivo, uh, in all seriousness, thank you for coming in. It is, My you pleasure. You sounded great. Thank you so much for being on with us. Ron Pivo, uh, late of KGW, KPTV. How if, uh, can people reach you if they want to get a hold of you? I'm currently with uh, Windermere Real Estate in Raleigh Hills. You can just email me at uh, rpivo at comcast.net. rpivo at comcast.net. All right. Thank you so much. Your best of My continued pleasure. success in all things. Thank you so much. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM970, the talker in the newsroom, Ron Pivo, on the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Michael Mara Show at 7. See you tomorrow when we will be joined by such luminaries as Jamie Cooley and Don Taylor from Film.com. Don't go anywhere. Like us, continue, uh, like us uh, resumes next uh, and, uh, and so forth and all of that. I've been gone for a week. Anyway, like us next. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 for the recap 11 of the show. Thanks for listening. Bye. white